Welcome back to another episode of Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott, as usual. Hey! hey. And we have a sequel today, a part two. Uh, we are going over the second half of our favorite sitcom characters list. If you listened to us last month, we kind of went over it. And we're going to do a quick recap on that before we get started. But this is part two where we're going through numbers five through one because we love lists. <laughs> I like ranking things. So uh, what I'm going to do is go around the room and we'll start with Tony, Scott to me, and just kind of go do a recap of our previous uh, uh, list, numbers 10 through 6. So, Tony? My number 10 pick was Audrey Horn from Twin Peaks. Number 9 was Dr. Lilith Sternan and Dr. Fraser Crane in Cheers. Number 8 was Mr. Spock from Star Trek. Number seven was Samantha Jones from Sex and the City. And number six was Mary Richards from the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Yeah, my number ten was Bull from Night Court. Um, my number four, or actually my number nine, <laughs> was Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> uh, my number eight was Troy McClure from The Simpsons. Uh, my number seven was Moira Rose from The Schitt's Creek. And my number six was Selena Meyer from uh, Veep. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So now we're going to the nitty gritty. We're going to our top well, five. Well, you didn't do yours. Yeah. Oh. You didn't do your recap. I, uh, <laughs> I didn't think it was as important to go over because I thought it would be <laughs> But uh, my top ten would be, number ten would be Dr. Fraser Crane from uh, Fraser and Cheers. Uh, my number nine would be Lucy Ricardo from I Love Lucy. Number eight, Dan Fielding from Night Court. Number seven, Diane Chambers from Cheers. And number six was Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties. So that would be mine. Yeah. And uh, so now I think we could go into uh, our top five. So, Tony, we'll go with uh, what's your number five for your list? All right. So originally my number five was Lucy Ricardo. But since you picked Lucy in your last list, um, I, you know, to avoid redundancy, I thought I can just maybe pick somebody else. So this is a fun, almost little, like, throw... Well, I do love this character. Uh, but kind of a fun little throwaway character that, um, uh, if I'm being true to me, I wanted to include just for the fun of it. So my number five favorite TV character um, when Tony Sacco was age nine was um, Kimberly Hart, the Pink Power Ranger. Ah. From Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> Um, I actually, fun fact, I actually got to meet Amy Jo Johnson, the actress who plays her, a couple years ago when we went to the Comic-Con here in Columbus, and she was just outstanding, so sweet, um, and I thanked her for, uh, you know, being on the show and for being a good role model, you know, for young girls. If you've ever watched Power Rangers, the original, the OG, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, um, the character of Kimberly was kind of your, your everyday wholesome girl-next-door type. Uh, because she was a pink ranger, she always wore pink. So I love that about her. I'm actually wearing pink right now, yeah. uh, ironically, um, and uh, or coincidentally. Um, but yeah, I just think she was a great, uh, fun TV character that I'm sure will stand the test of time. Oh, absolutely. That's a timeless character if there ever was one. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I, think the, I think if someone asked you what 
the if you they asked about the Power Rangers, what they remember. Every I think everybody would remember the Pink Ranger, the original one. Yeah, because yeah. that stood out of all the Rangers. Yeah, you know, because that was like, well, there was a Pink Ranger, and that was the girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and for the first time, you know, it was fun to have a girl superhero in the mix of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she was also, you know, I mean, Joe Johnson's just beautiful. I feel like I related to her at that age because, one, I loved pink. I was, you know, kind of sporty. Like, she, she, I think she was a gymnast. I did ballet. Um, she had brown hair with bangs. And, you know, she was petite. And so, you know, they're just, she was very outgoing and bubbly. And so there were a lot of uh, similarities there that I gravitated towards, certainly at that point in my life. But, yeah, it was fun to see a girl on TV. And, you know, I think she was probably... Any 90s kid, that was probably their first crush mm-hmm. was Pink Ranger because yeah. she just was beautiful. But, uh, you know, when I just love that TV show. It's Sometimes every now and again uh, when I see it pop up on Netflix, I'll, I'll just watch it just for fun. The episodes are like 20 minutes, and it's just absurdity. I mean, it makes no sense. The continuity mm-hmm. is terrible. Uh, but that's kind of what makes it fun going back as an adult and uh, and watching it again and just thinking, oh, my God, I liked this when I was a kid. It's so terrible. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, darn it, I, can't, I lost my thought of what I was going to say. Um, yeah, the show had definitely had a big impact on me. I mean, I was like all things Power Ranger, Rangers at that point in time. My um, best friend Brian and I, every day after school, we would come home and we'd watch Power Rangers, and then we would reenact – whatever episode was on. And I, of course, always was the Pink Ranger. And Brian was the Green Ranger Tommy, who then converted to the White Ranger, if you've watched the show, if you're keeping up with it. But uh, anyway, yeah. So I'm going to say the Pink Ranger just for the fun of it. I always enjoyed the villains on that show. I never, I didn't grow up in the time of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but since I've been friends with Tony, we've revisited some of the footage, and I get a (laughs) kick out of, like, Guitardo and some of those really yes, strange the, offbeat wasn't villains. Wasn't Brian Cranston one of the villains? Yeah, he was the voice yeah. for a, a number of villains on uh-huh. that show. They're crazy villains, too. Very like, they're crazy. really absurd. Yeah, I think it was a uh, was a Japanese show, right? I believe so. And then they so a lot of the footage yeah. is from a Japanese show, but they obviously filmed the uh, some of the versions as American, you know, actors. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of the Power Ranger scenes are from the fight scenes, yeah, yeah. yeah from, and that's uh, why they kind of make no, yeah. no sense in terms of continuity. Like, if you look, so Amy Jo Johnson, I think, is about five foot, and in fact, when I met her, she was not very much, you know, taller yeah. than me. And, and sometimes the Pink Ranger looks clearly like she's five ten, you know, yeah. like way too tall. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, we actually reviewed that. If you go back, we have a Power Rangers the mm-hmm. movie we reviewed. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Which is, uh, in and of itself, is a is a, is a fun <laughs> fun movie. Um, yes, it is. Uh, I remember the villain from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. who played yeah. uh, the French archaeologist. Played the main character. Ivan News. Yeah, yeah. That's, and he does a does a great job of really hamming it up for. And that's yeah. just it. I mean, I, I feel like if I had to kind of, you know, I I was gonna actually I was teetering between um, the Pink Ranger and Pee Wee Herman. Because you guys, and I mean, you know, the impact that Pee Wee Herman has had on culture, but I loved Pee Wee's Playhouse as a kid. And, you know, it's these shows that I think really started to foster my appreciation for camp. Yes. You guys know I love camp. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at this point in time, I was watching Hairspray and Elvira, and, you know, so the camp was just kind of piling up, and and Rocky Horror Picture Show is one of my favorite movies. So, um, 
Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll throw Pee Wee in there and say my number five is going to be a, a combo. We'll do the Pink Ranger and Pee Wee Herman. Oh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> and we, we could definitely, uh, I mean, Pee Wee's. Yeah. Um, but the Pink Ranger works. I mean, we could talk about Pee Wee. I'm sure there's a, there's tons of situations to talk about him. Um, um, definitely um, huge impact on, you know, Pop culture. Pop culture. Yeah. I mean, children's TV. Um, kind of changed the landscape. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you, obviously, you know, we if you go back and watch PB's Playhouse, which sometimes it is on Netflix. It might be currently. I'm not sure. Same with Power Rangers. Um, obviously, that show is kind of like it's sort of <clears throat> what Mike Myers did with Shrek, where it's geared towards kids, but also very adult. There's so many yeah. nods to it. There's adult themes in there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> it's very subversive. It's yeah. very subversive. Ah, sorry, I was choking on a piece of chocolate. Yeah. Um, it's very subversive, and and definitely, if you're an adult and you're watching it with your child, it's not so terribly over over the top or or uh, adult that it's going to be inappropriate for your kid to watch. But you're still going to find something fun in there, and there's a little wink, you know, yeah. uh, for the adults as well. That just that you know that whole camp factor, but. Uh, yeah, I love I love TV's Playhouse. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was gonna say Scott, what's your uh, number four? Yeah, my number, I'm a number five. Five, yeah. <laughs> um, is a... sorry, gang, I'm going <laughs> delirious right now. Sea legs, sea legs, getting the sea legs. One. Uh, yeah. So my number five is uh, Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation, yes. uh, which is uh, played by the the great Nick Offerman. Um, just a I would say one of the more classic of the last ten years. I think he's probably one of the more notable sitcom characters. You Absolutely. Know, just as far as a mainstream, like you say, like Ron Swanson. I think a, a huge percentage of people, even if they haven't watched the show, kind of understand what that means. Like, mm-hmm. just the you know, kind of like a I want to say a parody of a man's man, but they're like just just like. All the jokes around. It's almost him. like an extreme version of a man's man. He's like yeah. a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> if being a man is a superhero, Ron Swanson like has it to like superhero proportions. Like yeah, yeah. Like his ability to ingest meat, you know, and and and, and all and, the eggs and all the eggs and and you know, um, just a great character, but has like a heart. You know, he's a very hardcore libertarian. On the show, and but, a good friend at the end of the day. But he's a good he's friend. He's a good friend. Yeah. But he's very himself. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't. He doesn't. He does it in a way that's not takes away from his character as you know, um, you know, aloof. But he changes in ways. Like he finds that he's he wrong. Yeah, yeah. In places that he's wrong. It's not well, like, like any good character. He grows throughout exactly. the series. He grows. But without losing what makes him interesting. Exactly. And what makes him you exactly. Know, Which is what you kind of hope for us as people, right? You hope. We want to continue to evolve, but still keep our, the integrity of who we are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's become he's the quintessential character. libertarian too. Yeah. you know. You know, it's funny. Sometimes I'll, I'll describe my father, who you guys know, as uh, when people like when I'm describing kind of like what he's like outside of everybody always saying, you know, a mafia guy. Yeah. But I'll say he's kind of like Ron Swanson, and then people are like, oh, I'm like he's very like anti-government. He just lives in a you know, cute little house in the woods of West Virginia. He's totally off the radar. He doesn't subscribe to, you know, the media. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but yeah, Ron Swanson, you know, I'm glad that you put him on here because there are so many great characters. Now, my number five was sort of like a throwaway and I was playing around with it, but I'd, I'd, 
thought and sense that maybe you guys would put some people like that in your top five. <laughs> so um, he is such a fantastic character. And the thing I love really outside of everything you just said about Ron Swanson is the impact he has on Leslie's life. Mm-hmm. That friendship there is so special and how he really becomes sort of like a father figure to her more than just a friend, yeah. you know, and um, I think that's really sweet for the both of them because Ron doesn't have any kids and Leslie never knew her father. And so there's that, you know, they're both sort of filling that void there in a really natural and easy way. Um, but, you know, I also think they kind of bring out the best in each other too. Yeah, yeah. He gr- helps ground her and she helps get him out of his comfort zone. Yes. Yeah. She does. Yeah, she she wants to. She is her superior is like she. No one works harder than Leslie. No, mm-hmm. he wants to do the least amount of work. Yeah, right. Like, and he doesn't want to do meetings. Like, she loves doing meetings. He's organized. She's organized. He's messy. You know, he doesn't. Yeah, care, it's like. it's the ultimate like two opposites attract. Mm-hmm. Not, but a platonic. It, it's weird to see a platonic. It's not weird to see, but it's really like one of the ultimate platonic relationships where it's a man and a woman who are friends mm-hmm. in a platonic way and there's no like uh, sexual silly, yeah, yeah you don't have to worry about all mm-hmm. that just... that's why i said he's almost like a fatherly type and i think to the episode when he walked her down the aisle you know how he was there yeah. for her in that moment and mm-hmm. it was so sweet and yeah like yeah. like they are great friends mm-hmm. they and, are good friends i mean he's even like friend. i would say yeah. i would say fatherly but i think it even not to take away from maybe there's that aspect of it, like he gives advice that she has, but mm-hmm. I don't think they're just like father daughter. I think they no, are. No, that's peers. why. That's why yeah. I said they all. They each kind of fill a void for each other. Yeah. He doesn't have. Yeah. Never had any kids. You know, they never really explore if that's something he wants or not. She never had a father, and so it's a very natural mm-hmm. um, relationship that they have. But um, you know, I think to the episode two where he where she helps him get away from Tammy number two and. You know, yeah. they're just always, like, there for each other. And regardless of how they – the thing I love so much, too, about the two – about the, those two characters and their relationship is how different they are, how more than not they disagree, but they compromise. And they find a way to still support one another and be friends at the end of the day. There's never – I can't recall in the whole series – now, it's been a while since I've watched it. Yeah. But I can't recall Ron and, and Leslie really ever fighting or never talking mm-hmm. or having a major – uh, hiccup in their friendship because they're so honest with each they're other. They're so honest, and they're, they're, if they don't yes, like something, they say yes, no. Yes, yes. And, and they added yeah. in that they both like breakfast food, so mm-hmm. that was always like that the was same. Like the common yeah, like they would eat breakfast together, like because that's yeah. what they both were obsessed about breakfast, yeah. right? You know, and 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 because they were so honest with one another, um, oftentimes there was a there was a so, and this is another thing that I love too about their friendship, and just a message that I think the show brings is just acceptance. You know, she knew his flaws. He knew hers. She knew his quirks. You know, uh, he knew hers. And they embraced that about each other, even though they were very, very different and probably unlikely friends, right? But they accepted each other. And in the moments when Leslie was doing very Leslie-esque things that annoyed Ron, he was endeared to her to a degree. Um, You know, same with her and him. And that's what makes them so fun to watch. Plus, the two actors, Amy Poehler, Nick Offerman, are just brilliant comedic yes. actors. Let's talk about how fabulous the ensemble was on that show. Mm-hmm. The, the stars aligned, and it was like lightning in a bottle, no doubt. Yeah. But, um, well, it's one of those. Uh, I um, someone said like there's very 
there's like two types of sitcoms. There's sitcoms. Well, I guess it's not two types, but there's all there's a lot of these sitcoms that start out and they're like, I don't know about this, and then like something will change or they recast something and then yeah. it just comes out. And it like, takes off. I mean, it's like like you know, wait to season two. Yeah. I mean, Parks and Rec's that amazing when they add Adam, Adam Scott and uh, Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe, the show Exploded. goes from like oh this failed experiment to be The Office. They're like an office kind of spin off, like that's a good way to total spinoff of The Office yeah. to this completely different type of show. It becomes more of like, what if this Office met The Simpsons, like a real life Simpsons, because it was about this town and all these ancillary characters. It was, it was much more absurd. Mm-hmm. Well, The Office was very much more grounded, mm-hmm. which made it great. But the, the Parks and Rec was like this absurd, which pushed it away from the office and made it its own thing. I think it, that's what helped it. And I think uh, a challenge for me for picking anybody from Parks and Rec is what you mentioned before, yeah. Tony, was how strong that ensemble was. Because yeah. so many people mm-hmm. from that show, like Chris Pratt and yeah. Audrey Plaza, have all gone on to really great and, careers And, oh, afterwards. I love Adam. I mean, he ben, the character Ben Wyatt, I just yeah. love. Yeah. He's uh, that, the straight man, you know, yeah. but, but still absurd in his own ways. Did the Cones of Dunshire and his I, obsession uh, with, what's the band, Scott? Oh, <laughs> that uh, offbeat letters 90s to, band, Letters yeah. to Cleo. Cleo. And, you right. know, he loves Calzones, and he's, you know, that nerd, but... I just I love that I just love Adam Scott. I think yeah. he's a great actor. Oh, I love Adam Scott too. All of them. Yeah. Here's my hot yeah. take: Adam Scott is better than John Krasinski. That's my hot take. I would agree. Oh. I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Ben yeah. Wyatt is a. I agree. Ben Wyatt is a better is a much more interesting. Although I would say John Krasinski, what he's asked to do in that office is, 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 is great. Is, is yeah. great. Yeah. But yeah, Ben Wyatt's a much more fun character because he's he has more. He has uh, more absurdity like, to him. He's yeah. not just a straight man. And exactly. Like, He's got his own quirks. He's got yeah. his own quirks. Yeah. So speaking of The Office, my number five happens to be a character from that show. And it, it is probably the character most people identify with that show. And that would be Michael Scott, mm. played, of course, brilliantly by Steve Carell. Steve Carell. <laughs> I've been thinking for a long time since I, I first discovered The Office, what, about 15 years ago when it first aired, that Michael Scott was going to be remembered as one of the all-time great sitcom characters, right up there with like Lucy Ricardo and Barney Fife and those that kind of level. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I watched it like this is a brilliant character and a brilliant performance. I mean, Michael is such a what I what I admire about Steve Carell in the role and what I love about Michael is that Michael is not really ambitious. You would probably say like like it would be easy to make the head of the office this like corporate shill that wants to keep moving up the ladder yeah or like a jerk right yeah and michael is a jerk but not in the way you would expect a corporate character to behave or a Mm -hmm. boss character like he wants everybody to love him yeah he's content being the manager of that specific office he's competitive with other managers Uh but he has no ambitions to move up the corporate Mm -hmm. ladder really yeah i would say he's not ambitious like through the business, but he's as far as getting people to like him, he is super <laughs> ambitious. super ambitious Absolutely. in that regard. Yeah. yeah, when he throws the office party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think the the thing that's I don't think any other actor could pull off Michael Scott the way Steve Carell does, making him lovable despite how that's the word I was going to use. Yeah, and and I think back to the first time I ever remembered seeing Steve Carell, and that was in Anchorman when yeah. he played Brick, who is just lovable and yeah there's steve steve carell i don't know if it's a smile or what it is or the fact that he sort of has like this airheadness about him like yeah. that he tend you know where it's believable and i think of him in 40 year old virgin there's like a cluelessness 
yeah. you know, an unawareness that makes him really lack charming. Of yes, yeah, lack yeah. of self awareness. Naive. Like, yes. Yeah. And we're all going, we know people like that. Yeah. We know somebody, <laughs> we won't say right now, that we know is just like that, who we love for that very reason. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. And I think all of us know people that yes. lack self awareness and they, yeah. they they just Because he means well. He does. He has a good heart and he really means well and he does care about his employees. And they allow that character to be yeah. vulnerable, and he makes these comments, like his relationship with Jan on the show, which is notorious, mm-hmm. is just how Michael will say things that are completely inappropriate. He has no real strong sense of social skills. At the same time, though, what I do love is, similar to Fraser Crane as a psychiatrist, Michael Scott is a very competent salesman. That's how he got in that, that mm-hmm. position in the first place, because when, whenever Jim tries to take over the office, and people think Jim is extremely self-aware... The coolest Smarter, guy in the office. Yeah. yeah, Jim does not know how to handle the office because mm-hmm. he's so used to being respected. He has mm-hmm. to make tough decisions. That Michael had a hard time with tough decisions, but Michael also had a skill in a weird way. Yeah, that it was just a talent that he might not even be aware of that he was able to hold that office together. That was a brilliant when they did that. That was brilliant when they made because everybody's like, "Oh, Jim was just—he's just better equipped than Michael because yeah. he knows." But but it, it, he failed doing yeah. it. And um, I think it was, and they always threw stuff in there, like Mike, they would show Michael being a great salesman. You know, he would have moments where, like, because if it got to the point where it wasn't believable, believable that he would be in that position, like, what did yeah. he do to get there? Like, oh, he's a great salesman. Like, somehow he, he's just very good at talented at that. And that was great to see because then it made it like, you know, he wasn't just, he obviously has, you know, social issues <laughs> but uh I, yeah i think some of the episodes that revolve around michael which is vast majority of the office episodes yeah, sure. some were very almost cringeworthy because you're just like wincing in your teeth like with with the uh scott's tots when he was promising to fund uh all these <laughs> students that were like uh he was going to pay all their college he education their college when they were little, <laughs> and oh then it, it, it came to you know it came to like they yeah. confronted him about it, and they're all happy and excited that they're going to get funded. And of course, he can't do it because he doesn't sure. have uh, the, money. the money. <laughs> yeah. But what it tells about Michael is that Michael really cares about other people. That's he exactly only wants right. to make people mm-hmm. happy, but he just gets in over his head constantly because he doesn't think things through. He's yeah. always impulsive and yeah. puts mm-hmm. things forth. I'm amazed that Steve Carell never won an Emmy for his performance on The Office. I yeah. think it's a criminal <laughs> overlook. <laughs> Apparently, Alec Baldwin was winning for 30 Rock during uh, that time. Oh, that's a tough, but, tough. Yeah. Com- yeah. But I think Michael Scott's far more iconic nowadays than. Having, I, I mean, I'm not well, a huge. I if mean, we're gonna get into Emmy talk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah gonna, I was always prepared. surprised that Kim Cattrall never won, and Sarah Jessica Parker seemed to keep winning repeatedly. Samantha is a much better character than Carrie. Emmys are weird. Like, yeah. If you win one Emmy, you tend to win a lot. Yeah. Like it's just very weird yeah. award. Like people, they, they and, and we've talked about other people. You know, like John Larroquette won over and over, and not that he's not great, but it's like you just keep, mm-hmm. you know. You, they tend to have their favorites. Yeah, they, yeah, it's like you just win and like, oh, he's the best. But like, or if a show is a little bit so, if, if the format, the style, if it's so unique and so new, and unlike anything else out there, oftentimes you know it does get overlooked by the Emmy. Same thing with movies because it's like they don't know how to process it. Yeah, you know, they don't know how to. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's too weird. It's new, or we don't know how to how to. Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Is it this? Is it that? You know, because it might be hybrid or something. Right, and, and the Office was sort of ahead of its time in the mm-hmm. sense that it ushered in the mockumentary sitcom. Obviously, yes. the British. Show. I mean, look at Parks and Rec. It definitely yeah. influenced Parks and Rec, no doubt. Modern Family took that format. Yeah, you know, um, and obviously the British show, The Office. That, with Ricky Gervais, that yeah. was the beginning of it. Yeah, but this, and I think this, this, the brilliance of The Office is it Americanized that show. They found their voice when they made it very specific to American culture, the way that the British show did for British culture. Because in the beginning, I think the first season was a lot of it for remakes of episodes from the previous series. Mm-hmm. But they just Americanized it. They Americanized it because yeah. you, you know, going to like chain restaurants like Chili's and stuff, all the small town stuff we're all used to. Yeah, they captured that yeah. in the show. Yeah. So, yeah, Michael Scott would be my number five on that list. So, so Tony's number four is next. My next four are very Tony picks, all four of them. Yeah. Um, uh, well, let's go ahead and keep the momentum on Parks and Rec. My number four pick is Leslie Knope. Leslie Knope, ah, yeah. Leslie Knope. Uh, you know, for all the reasons we kind of listed in talking about her relationship with um, Ron, I... You know, there are so many fabulous TV characters that have come and gone, and I'm sure that will that will come. But there is something so uh, lasting about Leslie Nope, and I think there's something about the character's personality that one or two things. Either there are people out there that are really a lot like her, those people yeah. that care too much, that are givers, that are there till the end, they're loyal, um, you know, they're organized, they're this, they're everything Leslie Nope is, or... It, it sparks something in somebody that says, I want to aspire to be that. Okay. You know, she, is, the character I think is, is obviously like anybody has faults, but is just so charming and positive and upbeat. And if you don't know somebody like Leslie, know, you sit back and you say, I want to know somebody like her. She's a, she's a great friend. She's a good person. You know, she's a good daughter. She's a good worker. Um, uh, yeah, I mean... And then you couple that with all the absurdity, you know, like how she always calls Anne, you know, you beautiful mermaid and, you know, the fun, goofy stuff. It just, I think she's such a great, well-rounded character. And it was really, it's just really refreshing at that, especially like at that point in time, to see a really strong female standout. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've always, I think what I love about that show and Amy Poehler's performance specifically is in the beginning I think they're trying to make Leslie kind of a analog to Michael Scott. I was just going to say, yeah, she's often compared season. as like the female Michael Scott. Yeah. And by the second season, similar to The Office, they started finding out that Leslie was her own character. Mm-hmm. And they really made her like a very lovable, ambitious person that everybody loved. Yes. But she has her quirks. But yeah. But she's not like, like... She's not dangerous. No. You know, she means well. Um, you know, like Michael Scott in that respect. She wants to be liked. She wants to, you know... Um, um, be a woman of her word and do the things that she says she's going to do. And, and you know, one of the things I, I really admire and love about the character, and this is something I aspire in my relationships, is I really truly feel like when I watch that show, whoever she's with, she brings out the best in them. Mm-hmm. Even a character like April. Yes. Look at April in the beginning versus April in the end after having Leslie as a friend and a mentor and somebody to influence how Leslie's positive influence shaped that character of April. You know, look at uh, any Ron. We just talked about how yeah. Ron grew and evolved, and that, that's in large part because of, I feel, his relationship with Leslie. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know? 
And, um, you know, oftentimes women, you know, women are painted in so many different ways in television shows. Some are forgotten about. They're just housewives, right? Some are the promiscuous, you know, Samantha Joneses. It was great to see a really uh, positive, realistic, you know, how many Samantha Joneses do we really encounter, as fabulous as she is, yeah. right? Versus how many Leslie Nope types are out there, you oh. know, doing, doing the right thing every day, working hard, trying to make a difference, trying to be a good friend, a good partner, you know, um, yeah, and she was kind of superhuman in a way. Cause yeah. she, she would do all that stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, I made you a cake. Like, yes, yeah, it's like, like, how'd you do that? Yeah, and that was yeah. the absurdity of and it. A, yeah, know? and a lot of it was how the other people in her life mm-hmm. tried to match her, and they mm-hmm. couldn't because they just weren't. It's like, oh, she's going to give me a gift that's going to be very well thoughtful, and i got to give her something. I can't think of anything to give I've her. actually had people in recent, recently say similar things about me. Oh. Well, like in the terms of I can't match Tony's energy or, you know, I, I'm just, my gifts aren't as good as hers. Yeah. You know, and it, it's not a bad, it does, it's not a bad thing, but. Um, oh, I, I admit I can't match your energy. Tony, totally. <laughs> I'll say that first and foremost. <laughs> well, some people are just really, like, thoughtful. and They're just all in. They They're, like, all in people. And I yeah. like to think I am kind of one of those all in people. Or interested just, in that, like, gift giving. and, and Yeah. Like, well, some people are like, here's an Amazon gift card, which I'm perfectly fine with. <laughs> but, uh, um. But, yeah, it's... I, I guess I see, uh, like, a lot of myself in Leslie, and it's, it's uh, you know, obviously you relate to that, right? But I just think she's a good good character and a good role model, Yeah, you know, for, for women in business, for women in general. I'm going to say this, too, about Parks and Rec in general, is they had very strong female characters across the board. Yeah. And they broke, I think, I, I obviously have done a, a scientific test of this, but I think that show broke the Bechtel test several times if you're going in that direction because her relationship with Rashida Jones, they really liked each other. It wasn't yes. like Patty. There was no competitiveness. Right. They truly supported one another. You're absolutely right. Um, and there was never a time that they were really at odds, you know. There was always acceptance and forgiveness. The same kind of theme that carried with her relationship with Ron and anybody else on this show. And that's why I say it's like one of those shows that as irreverent and funny as it is, it has a lot of good values, and, and I think it, it, the reason it has a lasting impact on people's hearts is because the way that it does inspire them to be better people, mm-hmm. um, to have stronger friendships. You know, look at the whole Galentine's Day. That's a thing now. Yes. Galentine's Day is a thing, and females come together. Um, had Parks and Recs not created that, would it be a thing? Probably not. And to your point, Sean, so often female friendships fail because of the jealousy, the catacy, the, the cattiness, the, the uh, um, 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 deceit. You know, they're not honest with each other. Now, even on Aubrey Plaza's character is different. It's yes. not a typical character on mm-hmm. any sitcom. Like, that was, that was a strong ensemble, by the way. Big That's time. That's a strong ensemble. It's one of my favorite shows of the last 15, 20 years. I would totally yeah. agree. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great show. I mean, like I said, with Ron Swanson, it's, mm-hmm. it's check it out if you haven't checked out Parks and Rec. I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Peacock, I think. Oh, oh yeah, it is on Peacock. Yep, definitely. Go to the Peacock. That's what I always say. Peacock TV. So is WWF Superstar. Yeah, you can can watch that. that (laughs) You can get wrestling in uh, that. Well, my uh, I just lost my uh, my list, but my uh, number four is probably a surprise. Is uh, um, not a surprise in like the character, but uh, is uh, Dorothy from the Gordon Girls, played by B. Arthur. Oh, wow. yes. And I think the reason that uh, is because of the. I mean, who has better timing than B. Arthur? I mean, it's... just, just 
I mean, I would argue Betty White, <laughs> or as equally as good. Yeah, other people yeah. on that show, but yeah. this, and, and and one is like we can highlight her, you but know, that's like yeah. the entire ensemble on that show. All of them, yeah. even Blanche, you know, Rue. I mean, they're all fabulous. The back and forth between Dorothy and Rose on that yes. show is incredible. That's why yes. that, that you're right because those yeah. two pair off each other. That's a, an ingenious casting mm-hmm. choice and for those. I, and I think, and I can think of another actress, but we'll get to her who has just as great timing. Yeah. But it's just like the I, I think Dorothy kind of shows something that's been you know kind of like a uh, an idea that that's out there. It's the difference between being nice and kind. Like Dorothy's kind, yeah. but she's not nice all the time, which is like a big difference. She's honest. She's yeah, honest. but like she cares about people, but yeah. she's also like not you know she's not the lovey dovey. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, she's got everybody's back. Mm-hmm. But yeah. she, I yeah. mean, she is nice in her own way. Like she yeah. does listen. It's like she's not over you know, but she's, but she's sarcastic and she has like a rougher exterior. But, but she, you know, when Rose says something, you know, Stupid. you know, she might make yeah. a comment, but she still listens to what Rose is saying. Yeah. She still accepts that information, uh-huh. but she just you know can't help herself and make that comment. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna say too the the writing on the Golden Girls, as far oh. as Dorothy is concerned, like the, the it's the best use of sarcasm I've ever seen on a sitcom because Dorothy's lines are so specific. Like as our comedy writer, yeah. like mm-hmm. that is an amazing line, and, and combined yeah. with her delivery, yes, yeah, she kills it yes. every single time. Her facial show. expressions, she yeah. the Arthur is among the most expressive comedic actresses of all time. I mean, she's one of those people, you know, kind of like Will Ferrell in the sense that they don't even have to speak. They just make a certain face and people are laughing. Yeah. You know, she just... And her references were so hip and modern for that time. At that time, it was like she's making really current references or just abstract references that could go with any character, but because it's... But she delivers it and you respect it because it's like, man, this woman's so smart. (laughs) Absolutely. I I actually I the reason I didn't pick a golden girl is I couldn't pick. They you know, I know we were we were joke we were gonna talk about honorable mentions. I was gonna mention all four of them because it really talk about ensemble. They're great on their own, but they're even better when they're together, you know? Yeah. And I remember watching that show as a little girl, like in the early nineties, like when I was wasn't in school yet. And, you know, I didn't really get it, so to speak, but I'm like, these old ladies make me laugh, you know? It was funny. So think about it. A five-year-old Tony can enjoy it, you know, and, and adults enjoy it. I mean, it's it's got something for everybody. It does. It does. Yeah, the, the entire, I mean, you could say yeah. you could say Dorothy, but you could mention any other. I could have put any, any other one Sophia there. Sophia is and often so, you know, yeah. revered. Everybody loves Estelle and they had, and actually, when they were casting him, I think they cast uh, Rose as was... Uh, Estelle? No, Rose and um, Blanche were actually... You're right. Uh, I think, yeah. I think uh, Betty White was cast as Blanche, right, originally? And, yes. And, and uh, uh-huh. who was the... Uh, Rue McClanahan was, was but they Rose, yeah. They had played those types yeah. previously and said, we don't want to play those types again, so they switched them. Yeah. And I mean, and also too, like I love the fact that Blanche has like a, like this like Southern Belle accent. It just adds to that character being sort of right. flippant, like she is. And I'm going to draw an interesting parallel, which I'm sure has been drawn before. But you know, is it not an interesting ob- observation to say that that the four Golden Girls maybe didn't model or shape the four girls on Sex in the City? Oh, I would they say, absolutely. Oh, yeah, you could, you could find you know, it. Yeah. You've got, you know, um, Dorothy would be like Miranda. You know, mm-hmm. the redhead who is always sarcastic. Yeah. And, you know, you you know, obviously Samantha would be Blanche. Yes. 
you know, Sophia, Ro- uh, Charlotte would be Rose, that naive, everything's yeah. rosy and perfect, you know, and then uh, Sophia would be Carrie. Four. Four women, both both instances, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's four to yep. four. Yep. Four uh, different women, four different personalities, yeah. still all coming to get having yeah. a common thread, yeah. And it's still, I mean, I, I think it's still... It was ahead of its time then. It's still ahead of its time. I mean, a show about four elderly elderly women. Yeah. These aren't like young women. Like, Mm -hmm. they were older women living together and living their life as single women. You could easily, if you take away the 80s fashion and decor from the episodes, and you, you, you literally film dialogue word for word in 2021 aesthetics, It'd mm-hmm. still be fabulous. It'd still resonate. Yeah. It'd still be on, funny. Like yeah. it's. And I always thought the Golden Girls, any episode, I feel like the whole concept of the Golden Girls would translate so well to the stage. Mm-hmm. You could easily do, like, a play. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, you know, because they're, they're always in the apartment, you know? um, primarily, yep. you know. Right. But anyway, yeah, you could seriously take dialogue, word for word, even have the same characters with the same personality types and just put them. You could do it with young girls. They don't even have to be retirees they could be college girls it would be just probably just as funny i think i've seen people do that they just take scripts of it and they just do live readings of it and Mm -hmm. people it's it's always 100 percent. it transcends that show yes trans definitely transcends i mean it's it's um there's something for everybody there i think yeah, I think The Golden Girls is one of those shows that is probably more popular now than it even was in the 80s. I, would agree. I mean, it was popular in the 80s, but it yeah. wasn't a cultural milestone where people were buying the shirts. Nowadays, you have like pop up versions of The Golden Girls, and yeah. they're, like you said, generations younger than us that are discovering it from reruns, and it's extremely popular. Yeah. So yeah. the shelf life of that show is amazing. Yeah. Actually. It, it, it holds up extraordinarily. Mm-hmm. I mean,. It's one of those shows, like, I think everybody had this experience with it. It's like, you remember when it was on, it was like, oh, it was good. And then, as an, you know, when you're an adult, as I would, I, you go watch, it's like, man, that's a lot better than I thought it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because it holds up. But, you know, a lot of the credit is the writing, but a lot of the credit is that cast. Is the just, actors. Is just yeah. amazing. Yeah. 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 Everybody was well cast. Yeah. And and there is something to be said about the four different, like, personality types. It doesn't just have to be women. It could be men as well. Yeah. There's a, there's a character for everybody. We all yeah. relate to one more than the other, right? You know, mm-hmm. I'm the Sophia. I'm the, you know, <laughs> I'm the Charlotte. Just like Sex and City. When I was in high school, seriously, girls would have shirts that would say, I'm the Carrie. I'm the Charlotte. You know, and I think you can do the same thing for Golden Girls. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Great show. I'm so glad somebody mentioned that because the whole series was going to be an honorable mention because I couldn't (laughs) pick. I couldn't pick who was the best. Well, my number four is a tie, and it also references a really strong ensemble, a show that I kind of wish had the same cultural resonance as a show like The Golden Girls because I think it is one of the greatest sitcoms of all time. And I had a hard time. I need I need a representation from the show because I, I could pick a number of characters and still put them in a slot. And that show is WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the two characters I picked, one would be Herb Tarlick, who was played by Richard Bonner, and then Bailey Quarters. Uh, yeah. And she was a brunette. She was See, the I've one with glasses. I've never seen it. I've never watched it. I highly recommend people go back. The problem <laughs> is WKRP is not readily available like other shows where yeah. it's not on a streaming network gotcha. right now. <laughs> because it had yeah. all this music on it. <laughs> the music licenses kind of. Oh, yeah. is that it? Okay. Yeah, the radio yeah. station. So they had all these. They get that all these. Makes sense. And uh, yeah. 
but a, a fantastic. I mean, you can go on YouTube. People have just thrown it up there, but um, it, it's really uh, for me one of the um, uh, greatest. It's one of my all-time favorite shows. It's very character-driven. The ensemble is, is strong from start to finish. I think it's one of the best workplace sitcoms. They really do, especially in the late seventies, capture what I feel like a radio station would op how an, a rock radio station during that time would operate. It feels lived in, kind of like The Office and Parks and Rec in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I picked these two characters, like Herb Tarlick, is probably a character that would not maybe go over well in today's climate because he was he was kind of he he was a sexual, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um, I love um, you know Jan Smithers as Bailey Porter's uh, Herb is a character that I don't know how well he would translate into the modern age because he was kind of a womanizer and he would sexually harass a lot of the women in the office, but there was a vulnerability to his character. He was a salesman, very insecure, but Frank Bonner plays it so wonderfully. It's very dry. He's almost a precursor to a lot of characters we like on TV. Like I think he's a precursor to the Michael Scotts and to... Dan Fielding on Night Court, like he, he, you know, kind of the character that everybody picks on. He's kind of obnoxious. He wears these big, loud suits that are like the late seventies. But even then, in the seventies, people laughed at the suits because they were so flamboyantly like loud. Yeah, it was intentional. And um, and Bailey Quarters, I just love as a character because she was very shy and kind of reserved, but she always stood up for herself on the show whenever she had a, a, a cause. And sometimes. Bailey could have gotten overlooked by Jennifer, who was the receptionist in the office, played by Lonnie Anderson, who oh, got all the attention immediately. Sure, sure. And she's great on the show, legitimately mm-hmm. great. But I always felt like Bailey, because she's a little more understated, you know, although I've talked to a lot of people who kind of prefer Bailey to Jennifer nowadays, you yeah. know. It's like Marianne and Ginger. Yes, there was the know? Ginger Marianne complex yeah. with them. Um, but again, I could pick a number of characters. I picked these two just to represent the show because I think. It's a good cross-section. I could pick Dr. Johnny Fever, played by Howard Hessman. He's definitely somebody. Or Venus Flytrap, who was played by an actor named Tim Reed. You will know I Tim, know Tim Reed, yeah. Yeah, Tim Reed yeah. was in the It movie yeah. from 1990. Yeah. Uh, but he's I know him as Venus. Yeah, he was also <laughs> in Sister, Sister. He uh, played their dad. Mr. Carlson, who's a wonderful <laughs> character. He's the, 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 the person who, who operates and owns the, the radio station, played by an actor named Gordon Jump. He eventually became the... The Maytag salesman towards the end of his career, you know, the guy that was lazy, that was uh, him. Yeah. yeah, a lot of recognizable faces. Yeah, but yeah, that's kind of my take on that. I could pick a number of characters from that show, but those are the two I picked. I feel sad. I don't have anything to add to it. I've never seen it. I'm familiar yeah. with, the, with it, but I've just never, never. No, no, it was a great show. Um, it has a great theme song, which sometimes is <laughs> edited because I guess they didn't What's license the theme their own. Song? Uh, WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh, in Cincinnati. Yeah, I think yeah. I've heard it. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably more famous than the, the uh, yeah. sexual show yeah. in terms right. of like. You know. No, I feel like I've seen clips and things of it. It's just not something like a series I've really truly watched to mm-hmm. comment on it. You know. Yeah, it was early '80s, right? Yeah, yeah it was the early '80s. Yeah. Uh, they did a revival in the early '90s that didn't do well, called the New WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. Maybe but, that's where I became a little bit familiar with the setup. But um, I actually always preferred the ending theme song to WKRP, which is like this incomprehensible punk rock version. Yeah. Of the, you know, that had nothing to do with it. Was they yeah. had a soft rock opening. Like easy listening soft rock yeah. opening theme song, and they had like a punk rock harder edged oh, like uh, yeah. closing scene, but had incomprehensible lyrics. They were like nonsense lyrics that they're just shouting. You know, I that would be that. a fun topic for us to do one day. Is like TV themes. 
the best TV thing. Oh. There's so many. Yeah, there's 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 a lot, and there's a lot that are like. Alan Thicke wrote half of them. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote the growing pains. Yeah, he did. My favorites, but he did. He did. Show me yeah. that smile, Logan. Yeah. Oddly, I don't know if he wrote that one or I don't not. Know That's if the he irony. Did. That is know, the irony. He wrote the yeah. Family Ties one, right? Oh, did he? Did no, he, did no, he write was, the Seinfeld song? Which ones did he write then? He wrote uh, Facts of Life and different stories. Oh, okay. So those, those are, are the good. Two. Yeah, those are catchy. They're what very about the catchy. Full House theme? Uh, I don't know who wrote the Full House, theme, but they were based but... on his that style. Yeah, that yes. I guarantee you, though, whoever wrote the Full House theme wrote every single theme song for that TGIF lineup. I bet that were... the Step by Step, yeah, Perfect Strangers. I bet they all have matters. the same. Yeah. yeah. What's I love. <laughs> there the... is a show called like Nine Perfect Strangers that's on like TV. Really, Nine Perfect Strangers. It, it's like a reality. I don't know. No, it's like a show. I don't know what it is. But every time I say it, it's like, is that like nine versions of the Perfect Strangers? And <laughs> some. <laughs> I, that's not my favorite show. <laughs> well, I loved it as a kid, but I would never say, like, this is something you need to sit down and watch yeah. and consistently. But, uh, yeah, that would be my number four would be those two choices from WKRP. Are we on to me? Yeah, number, yes. three? On to number three. All three. right. Yeah. Number three, speaking of another fabulous workplace drama, uh, my number third pick is the one and only Mr. Donald Draper. From Mad Men. Oh. oh. Yes. Yeah, d- played by John Hamm. Oh. Played by the one and only Mr. <laughs> Hamm. Um, yeah, if you know, I'm sure many of you guys, you, I know Scott's have seen Scott's seen Mad Men. Sean, you've seen it, right? I've seen enough. I, I regret that I never got a chance to watch a series from start to finish because I've heard amazing things about it's, it. And I'm sure I'd love it. You would love it. It's actually on Amazon Prime. You can watch oh. it for free. I think they throw a couple ads in there, you know, like commercial breaks. But other than that, the whole series is um, is on there for free. It used to be on Netflix, and then they pulled it. But yeah. um, anyway, wonderful series. It's, you know, based in um, – it starts off in the very early 60s, and then it carries throughout the whole decade of the 60s, ending in 1970 is the year of the last episode. But the character of Don Draper – I mean, I feel guilty. I don't want to, like, spoiler alert if you've never seen it, but it's probably one of the most complex TV characters I've ever seen, and he's so interesting, so um, flawed. And so human for that reason. Yeah. You know, he's also, he's probably, we probably know more Don Drapers than than we'd be surprised of. Like, mm-hmm. uh, he, oh gosh, how would you even describe him? Uh, an alcoholic. <laughs> he is an alcoholic. But you also uh, have to consider the times. Okay, this yeah, is the yeah, early 60s. He yeah. worked in advertising in New York City. So but yeah, it's, it's definitely it's a big definitely, aspect yes. of him. And he's, 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 yes. he's, he's a womanizer. He's a womanizer. Sure. But he has like a lot he's of a like... a brilliant ad man. Un, I would say un... Um, he has a lot of trauma that he has not yes. really worked Unresolved out. Unresolved trauma. Yeah. Which, which really uh, alludes to his destructiveness, his destructive behavior. At, at heart, though, he has a good heart. Yes. And he's a very caring person. You'd never know it, though, because he's not sensitive. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk about his feelings or emotions. He's that. Plus, he's a product of his time, that tough 60s man that, you know. Does, I think, it, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's like to- that toxic masculinity that where toxic like you, don't, you don't show yes. weakness or vulnerability. There's been a handful of times on the show when he was vulnerable, and there were very yeah. beautiful moments. Um, but um, he's, uh, oh, my goodness. I'm so delighted that I think it was the final, the final um, season that John Hamm finally won an Emmy because 
kind of like, you know, a couple of your favorite TV shows. He just kept getting overlooked. But um, it's so well played. And I think what made it really, really great, too, is that really when the series started, most of the actors were unknown. And John Hamm was like an unknown. And oftentimes when you find an unknown to take on a really great character like that, it makes it that much better because there's nothing, there's no basis for comparison. Yeah. You know, you can't say, oh, well, John Hamm played so-and-so's dad, you know. So Don Draper, I think, is so synonymous with John Hamm, which we all know he's so much more capable than just playing a, he's a great serious actor like he was in Mad Men, but he's also a brilliant comedic actor. Yes. You know, he, he's really all around. He's one of my favorite SNL hosts. I mean, I, I love Same. him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the character of Don Draper is so um, dynamic, so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's so much dimension. There's so many layers. Just when you think you haven't figured out, you learn something else about him that kind of reshapes how you think and feel about him. Um, he is... Uh, Oh my goodness! I w- you know I should have looked up some kind of brilliant article that described <laughs> him because I'm doing a really piss poor job. But if you've seen the show, I think you can understand. He's complex. He's, by, yeah. he, he's very complex. Yeah. Uh, but very human. Um, he he grows exponentially throughout the series. Yeah. Which is you guys know I love character development, mm-hmm. and the Don Draper we meet in episode one is very different than the Don Draper you know in the series finale. He's a lost soul. And he's traumatized, he's hurt, mm-hmm. he's been abused, he's damaged. Uh, he literally is um, um, someone else. Yeah. He, 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 he struggles with who is that his identity is. And I think many of those themes we can all relate to in different aspects of our lives, or we know people like that. Um, anyway... I could just keep rambling on oh, and on. Oh, that's a great... Scott, do you have any yeah. other comments? Because I know you, you've seen the series and you like the character, too. No, I think you uh, stated it beautifully. It's, uh, it's a really good series. Um, you know, it's... it's Yeah, I think of the last... It started, like, outside of HBO. It started, like, the Prestige TV. On, M- on AMC? That's a yeah, good point. It's yeah, true. And yeah. a lot of shows came out of that. Yes. So it, it, it was part of that, like, the Sopranos kind of gets credit for starting it but you know mm-hmm. as as it got on it you know that's it was one of those shows where it's like oh these are like cinematic it, it wasn't a sitcom so to speak per se yeah, it broke away not, from that mold yeah yeah it's, it was more serial it's a like, it's a drama yeah, but it was a, a serial drama, drama. like yes. instead of like you know the, the other dramas were like based on like cop dramas where it's like yeah or, episode, or hospital dramas or yeah, yeah. they were each episode was contained with one thing which was a big, even shows that had like a serial concept like uh, X-Files would Mm -hmm. have multiple episodes that were just like Monster of the Week or whatever. Yeah, yeah. While while Mad Men was like the whole... It built, every episode built off the last. Yeah. I mean, they had something that the episode was about, but it was really about... A continuation. Yeah, you you know... That's a good way to put it. Right. And it was helped by like binging where you can watch episode after episode because it really helped that out. And from a cinematic standpoint, it's absolutely beautiful. Sean, you would love it. Mm-hmm. Their their um, effort to detail, to matching every detail from newspaper article, articles to songs, it all lines up beautifully. The continuity is something I appreciate, especially on a period piece. Mm-hmm. The fashions, um, it really, it's, it's I, I think it's one of those shows that's going to hold the test of time because it is a period piece, and it's really like a documentary in a way. Mm-hmm. And, the, and it's another show that has fabulous characters that all have so much growth. I think of Pete Campbell. Yeah. I mean, the way that that character grows, Peggy is probably maybe a better example. Um, you would, I think, really appreciate it. Um, there is comedy 
in yeah. it as well. You know, it isn't just a a, a hard boiled, serious, you know, workplace drama. Mm-hmm. There's there is definitely comedy to it. But the character of Don Draper, I think, is so multi dimensional. And in two thousand seven, when the series premiered, prior to that, um, had we really seen characters that complex outside of a movie right. on TV? You know, maybe The Sopranos would be, I would say, maybe an argument for, you know, Tony And there Soprano. were others, like, but, yeah. Yeah, but, but he was almost, like, the first of that time. And now we see nothing but characters like <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. you know? Yeah. So he kind of helped shape well, that. Well, yeah, role. like, they're yeah. not 100% likable characters. Yes. Yeah. There is more about Don Draper that, especially as a woman, that I should find despicable, disgraceful, you can say he was a bad person. He yeah. made some really bad choices. But there's so much heart behind the character and the complexity of the things from his childhood and the, the life that he lived and, and everything about him that's so redeemable. And I think that's what makes a great character. And we were talking about that, mm-hmm. you know, how you can have these people that you're rooting for them, even in spite of not agreeing with who they are and the choices that they make. Yes. And I think Don's a great example of that. As a side note, if I remember correctly, is there an episode of Mad Men that I've heard where he's listening to somebody's listening to a revolver? Yeah, it's and Don. And he t- makes them turn it off. Yes, or he like doesn't that? like it. Yeah. He's also very old fashioned. He's yeah. kind of. It's interesting. I remember how I said the series starts, I think, in '61 and then ends in '70. He looks the exact same. He doesn't <laughs> evolve with the fashions. He's he's that set in his time. Oh, yes, gosh, yeah. so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and I know as a Monkees fan, I heard that they used Porpoise Song at one point in yes, the series. Yes, yes. They, they, they the soundtrack the you would love. I'm sure I would. Yeah. You yeah. would love it. I'm sure you can find it on yeah. Spotify. It's a great. Yeah. It's a great adventure through the '60s yes. of what's happening, and then they. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of shows. I mean, I see. It, and again, there's shows since that have done that, where mm-hmm. they take events that you know of historical significance. And they tie Obviously, it like shows like The Crown, which is all about historical stuff yeah. through that, they tie what's going on. It's easy to win the Storial family. Even if they kind of make stuff up, they yeah. use. Um, but it's just interesting. I can go to my number three. Sure. Sure. Uh, and this character is probably known more for something else, which is the same thing. But uh, mine's Frank Drebin from Police Squad, played by <laughs> Leslie Nielsen. <gasps> Oh, great choice. Which is the show. I didn't realize that was a TV show. It was. Yeah. Six episodes. There's not, you Six can watch episodes. Them, you can only watch them on YouTube. Um, and it's can a show you send that, me the link? Yeah, I can, basically. <laughs> um, and I just, I'll be honest, I, I, I knew of this show for a long time. And I had seen episodes when I, but I, it was only the last maybe five or six months that I actually sit down and watched all six. Is it like an hour series? It's or a thirty-minute show. Minute? It's a oh, sitcom, okay. yeah. yeah. And it, okay. but it's different because it, you know there's no laugh track, it, especially for the early '80s. It was like '84 yeah. came out um, before the movies. Yeah, but yeah, yeah a few years yeah. before the movies, and um, it was only on six episodes. I think it got obviously it got canceled because it was so yeah. ahead of its time. Because like it was so many jokes. Yeah. It was like the movie. I think the movie is is stronger. To be honest, the police, the Nika Gun movies yeah. are just harder hitting. Um, but the the character of Frank Draven is so good. Um, I love him too. Because mm-hmm. Leslie Nielsen plays it so straight, without any kind of hint of this is a joke or anything. Um, and I, you know, I'll be honest. A lot of this is just to highlight Leslie Nielsen because Who is I fabulous. think, as a, oh, I especially him. in his prime, which was like you know the decade of the eighties, yeah, his comedic prime, and he was a great. Um, 
you know, like Forbidden Planet. I think that was the movie yeah, that he was, he was in. Forbidden that, Planet, he was in yeah. that. He was great in that. So he was a he was a you know a successful dramatic actor, but he found his footing as you know just as a deadpan. I wouldn't say deadpan, but as a like you know these a great actor in these parody comedies. But he's also, you know, he was on Golden Girls as guest spot. Absolutely, I think he yeah. was Dorothy's, mm-hmm. I think he was. So he, he was able to play, you know, in all sorts of different. But his real strength in com- comedy was to play these hard-boiled, this really serious, serious. actors. Yeah. But do these, but just do it in ridiculous and say all the yeah. lines without any hint of, of comedy, which is this. And I know people do it. You know, it's 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 a comedy trick that everybody knows. Everybody knows they play it straight. Everybody knows that. But I don't know if anybody did it as well as Leslie Nielsen did. You know, maybe people did it as well. I don't think anybody did it any better uh, than well, he Well, Leslie was. Nielsen is one of those actors that's so synonymous with the Frank Devon character. You know, he when you think of Leslie Nielsen, that's probably what you think of right. in spite of anything else he's, else he's yeah. ever done. Mm-hmm. You know, and part of that, too, I think, is we had the good fortune of – Similar to like John Hammond, Don Draper, we didn't really know Leslie Nielsen until that character, and so it's it it makes it there's no judgment there, you know. It, it'd be harder for somebody like Jen Aniston, yeah, who we know is Rachel, right, and other yeah. romantic comedies that she's done. It'd be you know to take on a role like that, like that. That is one of the nice things when you have that sort well, of unknown actor that encompasses this role. Well, that's the great thing about sitcoms, yeah. I think, is. You mentioned Jen Aniston. No one knew who she was until before Rachel. Friends. Exactly, and you now know, she's synonymous yeah. with Rachel. I yeah. mean, they didn't know he actually was. People knew him on this show because he had done Airplane, and that was he was. Oh, a Airplane had already come out. Yeah, okay, yeah. I was thinking it wasn't yeah, out so yet. Okay, and he had a big career, but no one would know him from a lot. But of But wouldn't it. you say? Yeah, yes. people recognize the face for Leslie so Nielsen. And airplane. Well, and he has know. such a unique look. Oh yeah. yes, yeah. But wouldn't you say that the the Airplane character is very similar to Frank Devon? Oh yeah. I mean, you'd think it was one of the same. Yeah, they are. I mean, they are, they're essentially cousins. <laughs> yeah. I will say this. I, I think in Airplane, it was complete deadpan. But with Frank Drebin, he added a lot of physical comedy yes. and a little more heightened comedy. To yeah, him. yeah, he did. Along with keeping a deadpan. Yeah. He, he, he did yeah. do that. It was more and absurd. He expanded on what he did on Airplane. Yes, yeah. Because he I, had the freedom to do that. And yeah. I will say on the show, he's much more deadpan. And maybe yeah. that's kind of the reason. Like, he really kind of, he found ways to make, the character in the movie more exciting, more mm-hmm. more overtly comedic. Yeah. Um, but it's still he, he he never got he never went too far. I guess he just yeah. discipline in it was what I always appreciated. Like he never like went he never like winked at the camera. I guess. And at any point. it was no, even never. even though it was so absurd. Yeah. You know, I think to the scene in Naked Gun where they're getting ready to you know um, have sex and they're wearing the condoms on the outside. Oh yeah. Like the suit. You know, you're right. He takes it just to that level of unbelievable and and then breaks to something else. Mm-hmm. So he's still believable and, and lovable, and you're not, like, rolling your eyes like, come on. Well, yeah, I mean, because he, he plays it, if you're going to wear it, you know, he plays it like this is what you do. Exactly. Because yeah. she like had one on, too. Like, it wasn't just And him. she did it, yeah, everybody in yeah, that movie. Exactly. And not to talk about the movie as much, but, the you know, the TV show had some different casting. It was the same idea as the movie. Uh, but there's some similar characters. One of my favorites is a shoeshine guy that they didn't have in the movie, which is Frank Drevin would go to get information from a shoeshine guy. Who played him? Uh, man, I don't know who played him. It was some character actor at the time, and I apologize not having the name on the ready. Yeah. But uh, um, 
maybe I wrote it down. Um, but uh, Johnny the Shoeshine guy. In the, in the, TV, in the TV yeah. show, did he do like the over narrative like he does in the movie? I, he, I, yeah, I think yeah, so. I, I think he's like, yeah, I, like I gotta, I gotta I go that, check I out the. the he's yeah, like, I gotta go get yeah. some information. So I yeah. went to the Shoeshine guy. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and, that adds to it. You know, yeah, I it's just, a trope that they yes, played Yes, I love of. that. Yeah. I love that. But the trope on the Shoeshine guy is Frank Drebin would go and get, and he would legitimately get information from this guy. He'd hand him some money and get some information. But. After he leave, in every episode, a new person would sit down with the Shushan guy. So it would be like a doctor, uh, like a surgeon. It's like, how do I do Arp and Heart? He's like, Shushan guy, like, I don't know anything about that. And he hand him, like, $5. Like, what you got to do is you got to cut really. <laughs> and so he yeah. would know everything about it. Uh, one of my favorites is they had. Uh, was it Dick Clark? Dick Clark came on yeah. there. And he asked him, what is ska? He's like, I don't know anything about that. And he's like, here it is. And he gave him this very, like, Rolling Stones, you know, like, all music pretentious version what it's called is, is like it's a you know taking you know some like an allmusic.com patrick bateman yeah yeah. Of it. yeah he's like he's like it's not good to the the white man's ear it doesn't really penetrate and it has like a short shelf life but it's like <laughs> oh it's it's brilliant if you if you get a chance just even check out the you know someone you'll have to send me the link i'd like to see it yeah I yeah it's a shoe shine guy after another it's, that's a great way to enter the show definitely have to do that you mm-hmm. have to love it yeah um yeah. They did a, a take on that in the Make a Gun movies because I love that bit too, where he would always uh, try to bribe mm-hmm. somebody at the at the pier in the first one, but they kept exchanging. Yeah, that was the, the bit, and then one. Yeah, was, that's how they kind yeah. of adapted that to the film. Yeah, so that's my number three, Frank Drebin. That's a fine choice. I love uh, yes. Leslie Nielsen, especially as Frank Drebin. Uh, my number three, admittedly, a lot of this goes to my parents, specifically my dad. Like, this happens to be his favorite show of all time. Oh, no. I know where we're going. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I love this show, too. And I think this character, for me, epitomizes like a, what we would consider the straight man or the person who holds the whole center together with a like the straight man in, in a world of eccentrics. Um, and that would be uh, Sheriff Andy Taylor from the Andy Griffith Show. Um, I love Andy Griffith. I, I really love the show like mm-hmm. I legitimately not just because my parents advised to me I, I think it's a show for me that has stood the test of time there's a timeless quality to it I think it's best in the first five seasons with Don Knotts and Barney Fife I think that Andy well he's and great in that role yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Don Knotts is a great character actor yeah he is and, and my dad would even choose mm-hmm. Barney Fife as his favorite sitcom character of all time um, but the reason I appreciate Andy Griffith on the show is how well they balanced out different sides of his life as the sheriff like he would go home his interactions with opie some of the best father-son you know relationship scenes i've ever seen on television because opie feels like a real kid he's precocious but not the smartest person in the room even though he discovers truths that andy eventually learns too and they play those in a a very smart intelligent way it's sentimental but not overly sentimental there's some realism to it it's just a great relationship, and he's a widow. He's a mm-hmm. widower yeah. on the show, mm-hmm. which which adds to that. And obviously, the world famous chemistry he had with Don Knotts, mm-hmm. with Barney and Andy, and their banter and interaction, and how Andy knows how to pull Barney in, and he does it in a way that isn't like sometimes on sitcoms when there's the comic relief and the straight man. The straight man condescends a lot to the comic relief. Andy yeah. never condescends to Barney. He plays off of Barney. He knows how to handle Barney. When Barney goes too far off the rails in terms yeah. of his overconfidence and trying to overcompensation, mm-hmm. uh, he always reels him back in. Like, but he also knows how to tease Barney in a very fun way. Like when 
when Barney brags about learning the um, the preamble of the Constitution and he keeps screwing it up, Andy will play off of that and keep having him go, and, and that's always fun. And he just feels like a real three-dimensional character on the show. Um, so, And another thing I like to say is Andy Griffith is a terrific actor. If you want to see range, I would recommend you see A Face in the Crowd. It's a, it's a movie from 1957, and it was directed by Elliot Kazan, who also directed Streetcar Named Desire and On the Waterfront, where Andy Griffith plays a really obnoxious southern guitar player, kind of like a, kind of an evil yeah. Will Rogers-type character. And he ends up becoming one of the most popular radio personalities in the world, and he's influencing politics. It's very relevant to what's going wow. on in our, in our environment, and he is really complicated and almost at times megalomaniacal and it's a different side so if you only know Andy Griffith from the Andy Griffith show highly recommend you check out A Face in the Crowd as like a contrast where he's playing a character with a similar background that goes in the opposite direction of good versus evil so great contrast there so I that's wanted to pick him just to elevate Andy Griffith a little bit as an actor you know no I absolutely I mean I grew up I only know him as the show yeah yeah no, it's a great show, um, and it's like, yeah, if you grew up on it, it's just like, it's, it's, it, I appreciate more as an adult when I was little, it's a little too quaint, you know, it's a yeah. little too, like, there's not enough going on. And but I think I that's like, what I struggled to identify, yeah. especially as a girl, mm-hmm. yeah. there wasn't a lot I didn't feel in there for me. Yeah, there, you know? it's a very male-centric, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there are yeah. female characters, yeah. but there are, they're, <laughs> how yes. they relate to yes. Andy, yeah. and, yeah. I mean, there's Aunt, Aunt B. Yeah. I mean, she's a strong, uh, you know, in her own way, but she's not a, you know, she's in every episode, but she's, there are some episodes about her mm-hmm. and about her life, but, you know, it's not, you know, the the crux of it, if you have what you feel about Andy Griffith and what you feel about Barney, you know, or Andy Taylor, those are, that's what makes the show. If that's, yeah. those are, the, if you're getting into those guys, that's, that's yeah. what makes the show. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's just, uh, and I think that, the show works best in its first five seasons when it was black and white. I think when it went to color, it lost a lot of charm. And obviously losing Don well, Knotts it hurt loses, it too. Yeah. Nobody likes the, I mean, the, yeah. there probably are fans of the colored Andy out there, the, the colored, colorized Andy yeah. episodes. Sure. I don't know too many. <laughs> personally. You know, I think outside of the Wizard of Oz, it's when you go from black and white to color, it, it yeah. does change, you know, it it's fun. It's, it's funny. Cause some yeah. people, I, this is pretty funny, but I've heard people of the Wizard of Oz. They never knew because they only, they didn't have a color TV, oh, so they watched the Wizard of Oz. They didn't. They never wow. knew that that there was that change. Oh my yeah. god! Because the only time they ever saw it was wow. when they replayed it on TV. And so so, so for TV? for years, yeah. a lot of people thought they didn't, never knew oh that it goodness. got colored because they had. A, and can you imagine the, the initial reaction seeing that? In the oh theater yeah. And then all of a sudden it going to color. I mean, in 1939, how amazing that would have been. Oh. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's. You'd have been starstruck. Like, I mean, we've done that movie, I think, on. Have we done The Wizard of Oz? If we haven't, we ought to, because you know it's. Yeah, we have, actually. We have done. We've done that in the Wizard yeah. of Oz. So we, we have covered it Adam Novak. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, covered, we, covered the, uh, we covered the world of Oz. But, um, but uh, no, I think uh, Andy Griffin, at least it was for a long time, streaming on Netflix. Mm-hmm. You know, I. I think for the reasons I just stated, I had always had a really hard time kind of getting into it, um, you know, as a young girl, because I just didn't feel like there was anything really for me, you know? Yes. It just seemed like an old show that my dad would watch every now and again. Uh. Um, but usually, you know, I appreciated Dad's taste. He would watch Star Trek and Twilight mm-hmm. Zone and things like that. So when Andy, if, 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 in the rare event that he would put that on, I'd be like, eh. 
But Tony. and also, you know, I lived in North Carolina as a young girl, and so Mount Airy was not far from where I lived in Winston Salem. Mm-hmm. And so the whole Andy Griffith thing was always like thrown in my face, <laughs> seriously. And I was like, I don't get it, you know? Like it just—it was like Richard Dreyfus. Mm-hmm. I just didn't get it. And so I think that's part of my rebelliousness about yeah. it. Um, because it was constantly thrown in my face, and here I am, you know, nine years old. I'm like, this show is like overrated. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. And a nine year old girl yeah. without would be into right. that show. You know, so I, it was a struggle for me at, at a young age too, watching it. My parents watched it religiously, and it's always in the syndication. Andy Griffith has oh, not yeah. left syndication in like mm-hmm. sixty years. Um, Tony, I always wondered, and there's a reason why, right? I yeah. mean, you know, I'm not here to bash it. I respect it for what it is. It's the best example of that type of show. It has a Norman Rockwell-esque view yes. of the South. Yeah. But it was really, the writing on the show is incredibly sharp and incredibly nuanced, more than people realize. I mean, the stakes are low on the show. Like, But that's the charm of the show is that it is in a small town community where that stuff means everything to exactly. the people in the city and, and nothing sh- to anybody else. And it's a show of its time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know. I, and I think it influenced a lot of shows like the Newhart's second sitcom, Newhart from the 80s, about the small town. It's a lot more absurdist. Yeah. But it started that show of a straight man having to deal with a bunch of eccentrics in a small town. I think even a a show like Twin Peaks takes some cues from the Andy Griffith show with the townspeople living in the same city. And that show is very town. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's centered around the town of Twin Peaks. I mean, it was the first show to really center. I think it was one of the first sitcoms to really expand on just being a couple Small to being town a community. America. Yeah. 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 We're going to get to another show on my list that's similar to that soon too. Uh, very famous for being part of the city. Uh, but that's why I picked it as my number 3. Andy you Grimm. were going to ask a question. What were you going to ask? I was going to say Tony, did you ever uh, struggle to watch the Andy Griffith show with fans of that show in the same room <laughs> at the same time? Did that ever, ever happen to you? Because you're mentioning it. Yes. You, you know, I can say there have been a time or two. Yeah. Um, Would the last name Wheeler have anything yes, to exactly. do with that? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Ed Wheeler, if you're listening to this, <laughs> he's Andy struck again. Yes. Uh, no, you know, I mean, you, you've, you've kind of encouraged me maybe to give it another peek with adult eyes. And, you know, I'm not in North Carolina anymore, so I'm not you know, seeing memorabilia. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, you'd see it everywhere you go, and I'm just like, this Andy Griffith, my goodness. I always loved Don Knotts. Um, I loved him in, you know, films like The Ghost of Mr. Chicken and Mr. Limpet. And mm-hmm. so I loved the Don Knotts element. But but even after a while, it was sort of like, okay, like, I have enough of Don Knotts. But I'm going to give a side note, too. Like, I think uh, Gomer Pyle was a spinoff of the Andy Griffith show. And I think Gomer is far superior on the Andy Griffith show as a supporting character. He's terrific than he even is on his own show. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. my another shout out. Well, to we, and we can say about the same thing I would say about Frasier. Yeah. You know, so some spin-offs do work for the better. Yes. Yeah. You know, but But yeah, so well, your Andy Gri- believe it or not, your Andy Griffith comments, some of them were a nice little segue into yes. my number 2 all-time favorite TV character, and that would be none other than Special Agent Dale Cooper. <laughs> oh, from Twin in the Peaks. legendary show Twin Peaks. Um, Agent, first of all, I absolutely love Twin Peaks with my whole heart. And yeah, it is a show, you know, that is very centered on a, a small town. And the thing that makes it so great and charming is this, this buffet of eccentric characters that sort of all have different motivations and, and connections. Um, you know, a lot like I would say, very similar to like a Parks and Rec, you know, mm-hmm. where it's very, it's ensemble based. 
But the character of Agent Cooper is such a standout, and I think in great part because it is basically like David Lynch. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kyle MacLachlan does a phenomenal job portraying Agent Cooper, who is this this quirky, nuanced, but also very intelligent, um, very aware and in tune person. And he's this outsider, you know, that comes into the the um, multi-dimensional community of Twin Peaks, and um, you know, he's there to solve the crime of who killed Laura Palmer. And you just can't help but fall in love with him from everything, you know, from his love of coffee and cherry pie to the fact that he records his thoughts on a recorder and talks to this mysterious Diane. Um, yeah, it's it's basically, you know, I know earlier we were talking about how you've grown to appreciate David Lynch, mm-hmm. not just as a director, but as a person. Yes. That character is David Lynch. I... Um I think one of the more underrated aspects of David Lynch, and we're using Agent Cooper as a prime example, is his sense of humor. Yes. Um, it's an absurdist sense of humor. Like, even in a movie as intense as Blue Velvet, there's a lot of comedy in yeah. that movie, character-driven comedy yep. that's kind of absurdist and quirky. And Mulholland Drive has that quality, too. And from what I've seen at Twin Peaks, I've never sat down and watched the entire series. It's one of those series, like, everybody recommends to me that I never get a chance to watch. I really love the comedy and the characters on Twin Peaks. The towns, mm-hmm. the aspect where they focus on the townspeople, I yes. think are my favorite moments that I've seen on Twin Peaks. Uh, Dave Lynch in particular on that show is very funny. What's the name of his character on Twin Peaks? Oh my it's goodness. A, um, uh, oh my God, now that you've asked me, I can't think about it. Yeah. Uh, Agent Gordon, yeah. I think Gordon. Yeah, yeah. Gordon. Yeah. Gordon. Gordon Cole, I think, is his name. She's the kind of woman who makes you want to learn some French. <laughs> yes, because he has like the hearing impediment. Yes. Yes, yeah. and that's just it. It's it's quirky. It's fun. You know, the one thing too that really resonates about Twin Peaks as a TV sitcom coming out in well a series rather in 1990 was it was the first serial drama. Mm-hmm. It yeah. broke the mold of the 30 minute sitcom. And it carried the 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 theme and the episode into the very next week, and um, you know it was also very unique in that it was a hybrid. It w- it had comedy, it had it had drama, it had romance, it had sci-fi, it mm-hmm. had mystery. Um, you know, prior to that, sitcoms were very you know family centric. You know, they centered around a family or workplace. Um, and they, they kind of were known for just being, you know, mm-hmm. one beat, funny, you know, you have some kind of problem, and then at the end of the 30 minutes it's resolved and everybody's happy. Twin Peaks was very different than that. You know, the storyline carried through in a true serial format. And, you know, we were talking earlier about certain shows that struggled to get recognized for their brilliance. Twin Peaks was one of them. You know, the Emmys didn't know how to process that. They'd never yeah. seen anything like that before. The characters, um, just the whole cinematic... Uh, production. Yeah. You watch it. It's beautiful. You watch an episode of Twin Peaks, you feel like you're there, and that's one of the things I love most about it. You guys know me. I'm very thematic, mm-hmm. and I love the, the the marriage of things like music and motion and characters and aesthetics and costumes, and Twin Peaks is this whole world, and I think that's why so many people love it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more than just the characters, the script. It, it, it's, it's an adventure. It's a lot like something like, you know, Star Wars or Star Trek. Yeah. You fall in love with the universe. Yes. You know? World building. Yes, yeah. yes. yes. Um, and you get so entranced into that. But the character of Special Agent Cooper, he's so lovable. I just, I love him. Like, he's the kind of guy I want to be around. He's the kind of guy I want to be with. Um, 
he's just a fabulous, great, great guy. He's compassionate. He's kind. He's intelligent. He he embraces the community. He embraces the people in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, He's the he's the he's the what's that saying? He's kind of like the piece that holds it all together. Mm-hmm. He's the glue, you know, that holds it all together. Um, and so many people, because of their interactions and relationships with Agent Cooper, kind of like the Leslie Nope effect. Yeah, yeah. They find themselves better off for having known him or met him. Agent Cooper has this way of bringing out uh, different sides of people. Yeah, there's a superhuman level of competence with agent cooper too like where it's like wow he's competent beyond what you normally would like he's very organized Mm -hmm. i guess is like he knows exactly what what needs to be done he's very like you know here's the schedule i know the schedule on the top of my head here's what you guys would do we're gonna get coffee let's get some donuts 15 minutes and then i want to interview these three people like it's yes and and i appreciate that yeah yeah yeah. it's very that's tony right there yeah it's very interesting but he doesn't very like uh you know, matter of fact, but kind of like, um, um, and you know, like down to earth kind of mm-hmm. way. He's like, very relatable. Yeah. You know, he comes into this town as an outsider. He's a special agent with the FBI. That can be intimidating for a small town. Yes. They're going through this tragic event of the murder. Everything was scary. You know, um, and the thing I love too, and this is classic David Lynch, is to un is to uncover the seedy underbelly of yeah. what seems like a very happy mm-hmm. up top. And this TV show certainly falls in line with that. Um, yeah, but Agent Cooper, I love, too, because he's quirky. Yeah. He has his quirks. He loves his cherry coffee, the pie, the way they say things. Too. You know, the way they say things like, mm, this is, excuse me, this yeah. is one damn fine <laughs> cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, it's just fun. It's just a fun show. It, it's an escape is what it is. And I love it. It Everything is. about it. One thing I like to say too is David Lynch was very much ahead of his time Absolutely. in developing that show because David Lynch, before Twin Peaks, was one of the most celebrated, established filmmakers in the world and innovative. Uh, I think he kind of felt found his creative peak in the late '80s mm-hmm. when you yeah. had uh, Blue Velvet. I think yeah. became the blueprint for Twin Peaks. Wild at Heart was Wild another Heart. great film, and he's also developing this series now, Hitchcock did that in the 50s with Alfred Hitchcock Presents, but he wasn't as involved creatively with the development of that mm-hmm. series. I think he mostly just branded it. with Lynch his... directed episodes. Yes. He was there. You know, This is mm-hmm. very much a David Lynch yeah. production. Yeah, yeah and you like, can see that. In film and TV, especially yeah. the creators, did not mix that much during that time, mm-hmm. and he was well ahead of his time. Nowadays, it's done all the time because just the the nature of both film and television have changed dramatically in the last 20 years. And, you know, you know it's a telltale sign of a really good show and your character when it is so ingrained in pop culture. Look yeah. at how ingrained, you know, Special Agent Cooper, you know, Twin Peaks. I mean, it, it's definitely one of those um, shows a lot like Star Trek, a lot like Seinfeld, you know, a lot like Friends, where you have these characters that people love for generations. They share it with their families. They have, I mean, I look at us, you know, when Twin Peaks did the revival in 2017, I hosted a costume party and everybody came dressed as their favorite Twin Peaks character. And I had no detail was spared at that party. I even had the photo of Laura Palmer, exactly like the series. That level of detail, that's so David Lynch. And that's something I absolutely love about him. And it's interesting because in the the second season when David Lynch wasn't involved, you can see, you can tell. And what happened? The show went off the rails. Yeah, it yeah. lost all creative integrity. They ended up saying who killed Laura Palmer, and it just yeah. lost its its edge. It lost its charm. It, it you know, and it's sad because I think it had a lot of potential. Um, 
to be a, like a lasting mm -hmm. thing. But, you know, TV was very different in the early 90s. And if that show was on now, can you imagine the production value? Can you just imagine what it would look like? Right. Oh, yeah. I it mean, would be, I mean actually, it's already great the way it is. I yeah. Know. Well, it was upgraded recently on yeah. the HBO series. Uh -huh. So, yeah. Uh, not upgraded. It was continued. It was continued. It was yeah. built on. Yeah. 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 But it's just such a such a wonderful series. If you've never seen it, treat yourself. I'm sad to say Netflix pulled it after years of having it. They pulled it recently. So, I'm sure you can get it on Amazon, probably, you know, any other uh, streaming channel, maybe. But mm -hmm. Agent Cooper is phenomenal. A damn fine character. Yeah, damn fine character. Well, my number two is uh, uh, Job from Arrested Development, played <laughs> by Will and I. Great, great choice. So the, my top three is basically probably like what I find as comedically satisfying um, or as what I, I try to project comedically. Um, I mean, he's just a, a, a brilliant, he's ambitious um um, like he wants to be something he's not. He's incapable, mm -hmm. you know, socially or intellectually of being what his brother is, Michael Bluth. Um, you know, because he's 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 just not as bright. He's not as you know. He's a magician, but he's kind of a failing <laughs> a half magician. magician yeah. He's a half magician, <laughs> but he you know, um, but it's just completely delusional and in, in, in the best way, you know. Um, but you know. A lot of the characters on that show are. Yeah, exactly, so exactly, exactly. Yeah, they think of something that because yes. they come from like a family that had a lot of money, so they're yeah. all like you know they. They take it. A lot of the characters there take it to the extreme, which mm -hmm. is what makes it so fun. Yeah, oh, and, yeah, yeah, and they, uh, you know, he's basically he just wants to be valued by his family and and mm -hmm. by by society, and it's a struggle for him because he's constantly overshadowed, overshadowed, and, and falling short, and. Um, you know, and Will Arnett is just a, <laughs> and I think a lot goes to the character. Will Arnett is just a brilliant, talk about delivery. You know, we talked about B. Arthur and Leslie Nielsen. He's also another guy that just can deliver a line. It's yeah. like you just feed it to him. He knows how to. And with it. that being said, one thing that we do have to acknowledge about Arrested Development is the writing is incredible. Oh, it is. Mm -hmm. The writing spot on. It takes you just where you need to go and not a step further, you know? And I think the headlighter, you know where he got to start one of the shows he started right where? on? Golden Girls. <gasps> yeah. So, that, that's yeah. telling. That's yeah. telling. Yeah. Because it is. The writing is so sharp. It is. Sometimes yeah, I find myself, I'm like, wait a minute. And then I start laughing. You know, it, yeah. it's just, it, it hits you. It, yeah. it, it, it is a well, Oiled, and it, it, it's yeah. a touching, it, you know, it's definitely a show. It's like everything is like orchestrated. It's like you watch an episode, he's like, okay, I know all these disparates. You know, Seinfeld did it, but, you know, like, I know everything that's happened, even though it seems not related. Not it's all going to connect yeah. at the end. Yeah. And uh, and they do a brilliant job. Even things that, like, there's no way this is going to all come to, you know. But they, they find some fun way to, to, to do it. And just a really sharp, really fun, if you haven't checked out the rest of the development, I, I, it's not. The first three seasons is really all you need. It's really all you need. Yeah, just yeah. watch the first three Netflix, seasons. Yeah. yeah, it's on Netflix. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's. You know, it's funny. I remember, Scott, you introduced me to this show. In the first couple episodes, I was dragging. I just couldn't yeah. find the footing. And then something clicked. And, yeah. you, know, what, you know, it just, you can't go back. 
I, I think that's a great description of Arrested Development. It took me a couple beats to get into the mm-hmm. rhythm of the show, but once you're on, you're yeah, like, this you're is on. amazing. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's really good. The show I would compare Arrested Development to would be a show from the late 70s called Soap, which yes. was a parody of soap operas about a dysfunctional family, like two wealthy families. It's it, well, in What's a, her name's in that? Uh, Catherine Hillman yes, from yes, uh, Who's the Boss yes. is terrific on the show. Richard Mulligan, a lot of older veteran actors. Billy are, Crystal's and, on. Billy Crystal. And Arrested Development is the first show that really drew on the manic energy of that show yeah. and the dysfunction of that show and made it into a, a, another sitcom. It has its own flavor, and it's certainly great on its own terms, but I, I definitely see parallels between those two you shows. You know, and the thing, yeah. too, uh, that, uh, that I think is so wonderful about Arrested Development is, you know, similar to Twin Peaks, even even Mad Men, you know, it has a buffet of, of offbeat, quirky characters. Somebody can identify with one of them in some way. They're all equally as entertaining to watch. I mean, Tobias, he cracks me up on that show. Lindsay, everybody, everybody has their moments. Yeah, right. Buster. And Lucille, number two, Liza Minnelli, is such a compliment to that yeah. ensemble. Yes. And I almost picked yeah. the, uh, on my top ten, uh, Lindsay Bluth as well, because mm-hmm. I thought she's kind of an underrated character I on agree. that show. Because she's overshadowed by, Lucille I mean, Jason others. Bateman's yeah. the main character. There's Lucille Booth, and then there's there's Job, who's just strictly comedic. And Tobias, I would say. Tobi- and yeah. Tobias yeah. strictly comedic. Yeah. Yeah. David Cross is brilliant, yeah, one of my Cross. favorite comedic yeah. uh, entities yes. of all time. And uh, but she she uh, she does a great job. She keeps up in her Portia own way. Yes, Portia de Rossi. I was just like, it, man, she's it's beautifully casted. Everybody's oh, yeah. spot on. It, and everybody gets time to shine on that yes, show. And it's I, they, you know they they focus for a half hour sitcom mm-hmm. to have that many characters. And I think the weakest and a good plot line. I mean, like a good yeah. carrying story, you know. The only one, the, I think the weakest member is probably George Bluth, the older guy, uh, based by Jeffrey Tambor. Yeah, because he's kind of half in, half out. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like with he, him being under incarceration. I, I always yeah. thought that was kind of like yeah. the least interesting character. Yeah, but, they all have they all have interesting episodes. You're right, or moments where they, just when you think they're kind of maybe the weakest character. Yeah, have a moment to kind of shine. You're, you're absolutely yeah. right, yeah. and there was time, there starts like you know I wasn't as into and, uh, um, and, and, who's uh, Tony Hale plays uh, Buster. Buster, I love Buster. Yeah. Buster, it's I a, agree with it you. It took there. me a while to get into yes. Buster until he, like, yes. and I think season three he gets like more gets, of it. That was the one character I always kind of like. It was over the top. Like, yeah. like some Buster. people are too exaggerated and over the yeah. top. I don't always respond to as well, but I, I, I people love him. I have to check that out again. Yeah, season when three. When he gets the hook for the hand, that's that's where it got to me. Like. Yeah. He got these. He got. He, started, he had an identity at that point. <laughs> yeah, he got yeah. away. Right. Sometimes yes. it could be. They did the whole like he yeah. has this mother complex with his mom. He's he's a mama's boy to an extent. Yeah. Extent. And when he and pro- was able to break Liza away Minnelli, from that, yeah, yeah, comes in and I mean anything Liza Minnelli touches is gold. You yeah, know, she is a great compliment. Oh, and, and to anything she does. Yes. The the, the 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 characters they bring in. Yeah. This does a brilliant job of like. Um, just guest actors coming in on that show. Awesome. Louis, One of the Mar- best Louise shows. Dreyfus guest stars. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's just the thing. Anything, anybody new that comes into Arrested Development, they add value. They don't take yeah. it away. They add value. Um, the writing is so spot on. Henry Winkler as Henry that. Winkler. And, and what's his name? Um, as, as Gene Parmesan. Yeah, uh, Martin Mull. Yeah, yeah, Martin Mull as Gene Parmesan. I mean, everything, yeah, it's just, it's kind of like, Where's the next laugh coming? And each character has their moment to shine. And here's the interesting thing. A lot like Don Draper, 
the Bluth family is terrible. Even Michael. They're all, right. like, in essence, yeah. really flawed characters right. that some of them maybe have more redeeming qualities than the other. But at the end of the day, we're all rooting for them. There's... You know, we all hope that it works yeah. out, and and we see ourselves, and maybe we see our family, right? In that, you know. Oh, you know, I think um, specifically relating to Will Arnett. Will Arnett is gifted with a great voice. Yes, like yes, and he's one of those yes. actors that is just tailor made for comedy. Yes. Like I think of Don Adams from the 1960s and Get Smart. That guy was tailor made because it's a straight really formal voice that's almost distinct. You know immediately who it is. Yeah. It's like, what's his name? James Earl Jones. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I think Will Arnett is legitimately hysterically funny as Lego Batman. Mm -hmm. Because he turns Batman into a complete narcissist. Like, just completely uh, overblown blowhard. And it's a great take comedically on Batman. And I think he brings it to Job, too. Like, Job is my favorite character on the show. It goes right into my wheelhouse of comedy with, mm. with like completely self I never did care much for you. <laughs> yeah. That was a <laughs> great line. I'm just kidding. I'm quoting. Yeah. Quoting with you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Job and Tobias, yeah. I always, because they were, I love delusional, you know, like single focus. But yes, yeah. they're both very, Job especially is very single minded focused. Yeah. He's, he's, He's kind of, in a way, removed from the family, sort of. Yeah. You know, like, he's he, he's not, like, an integral part, but he, every time he comes in, it's absurd, and, you know, there's something something to be said for him. Yes. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, uh, self-obsessed, ignorant characters, my number two is an animated version of a really st- just pure stupidity, although there's warmth underneath it all. And it's a seminal show for me. It's 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 contender for my favorite sitcom of all time and one of my favorite shows of all time in general. That would be The Simpsons. And my character is Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson. Now that's basic. Oh. I could pick a number. <laughs> yeah, I, I could pick a number of characters from The Simpsons that could be on this list because they are loaded with great yeah. hysterical comedic characters. And it's like, like well, and the writing on the show. Oh I mean, yeah, the writing is outstanding. I mean, can you imagine it, if it had real life people instead of cartoons? What would it look like? <laughs> Probably they, Parks they, and Rec. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, Parks yeah. and Rec. As we get to it. Yeah, Parks and Rec. Basically, <laughs> especially like the town is, yeah. is uh, you know, yeah, with all the characters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Simpsons to me it kind of hits all of my my entire wheelhouse and my my taste in comedy, which is absurdist satirical humor, but intelligent, intelligent. You know, uh, very smart. Yeah. But also, there's no pretension to it. Mm-hmm. it. It lets itself be what it is. It's, it, it, and I remember listening to an interview with Conan O'Brien, who eventually became a writer for the show. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, he no, wrote uh, for the second or third season of The Simpsons for a few... He wrote the, the monorail episode, as a Conan O'Brien episode, um, where he said, every comedy writer on Saturday Night Live and Letterman were watching The Simpsons when it debuted because that was comedy at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's... They were looking at that as the comedy show of the moment. And just comedy nerds and writers were really paying attention to The Simpsons. And I know, as a kid, that was the show to watch. I was just going to say, when you think about the other sitcoms that were on during that time, they were more adult-centered. Yeah, they were. And, And Simpsons had, because of its animation, catered to kids. 
but the writing was kind of like that Pee Wee Herman. It's that, that happy marriage of there's something for everybody, right? Yeah. It's kind of being marketed towards kids, but really it's for the adults. Yes. There was yes. nothing else like that they on TV they at that time. To, yeah, they yeah. didn't know how to market The yeah. Simpsons because Bart Simpson was definitely a kid. Definitely yeah. towards yeah. kids. They had totally. video right. games. Yeah. Yeah. Eat my I shorts, mean, yes. you know, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, but the show, the show was, was above that. Very subversive, really idiosyncratic show. Um, I think they the got Muppets, lucky. Honestly, yeah. they got very lucky that that they they whatever it is that they that was working for them that it worked because that because of the unique nature of that show, it definitely was a fifty fifty. This is either going to go over gangbusters or this is going to fall flat. Mm-hmm. I think I picked Homer because Homer, I think, is consistently maybe the funniest character on the show. Well, he's the heart of the show. He is the heart yeah, of the he's show. The arc. Uh, he's the patriarch. Yeah. All the marketing went towards Bart in the yeah. early years, but Homer was really the character I think everybody found the funniest, yeah. you know, and I mean, so many moments I think are some of the funniest in the history of television, like one episode where Homer is trying to teach Bart a lesson on how to like why skateboarding is irresponsible and he ends up on the skateboard. He goes over a cliff and he thinks he's going to make it to the other side of this cliff. It's this huge valley. And all of a sudden, he drops and starts hitting his head over, do, 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 nonstop onto these these rocks. The gag, of course, is they're lifting him over on the. Uh, he's he's on a you know a gurney, a gurney, yeah. yeah. And he's being lifted over by a helicopter. And as soon as he's about to make it over the cliff, they drop him and he starts banging his <laughs> heads over. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in the history. And then of they TV. get him in the ambulance, and the ambulance crashes, and he. he Oh my rolls God. back out and he falls oh back down. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it is. It's it's oh, it's a great example. Yeah, um, <laughs> of the Simpsons. Exactly. Um, uh, you know, I, I I love the character. I, I think he's hysterically funny. I, I think like like I think Conan even said it was like a gift to write for Homer because yeah. and so many people did because he's so purely <laughs> stupid. It's like they were always they always had arguments I guess on the writing staff like how stupid can we make Homer? Yeah. Like how and, stupid and is Homer? And still make it believable. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. Like how yeah. you could still care about this guy making yes. him. And they would they would test that limits a lot. But they did it brilliantly. I think it's it's just a great character and an iconic character. Oh my goodness, totally iconic. The whole show. Yeah. I mean, totally it definitely it Without Simpsons, you know, you wouldn't have things like Family Guy, which is definitely a nod to The Simpsons oh, in yeah. every respect. Oh, Peter is almost yeah, a pure exactly. knockoff of Homer yes, Simpson exactly. in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely broke a new mold for, it, for animation and sitcom. Mm-hmm. It, you it, know, prior to that, most animation was just simply cartoon. It was, it, and it was yeah. tailored strictly for kids. Sure. I mean, uh, Flintstones was the first show animated show to air in prime time and it was about a family sitcom they were modeled after the honeymooners mm-hmm. the simpsons kind of took that and added a real strong adult edge in the 90s to that yes. i always liked how the simpsons would play homage to the flintstones from time to time and they would they were very yeah, self-aware didn't they do there. like a knockoff of the intro one time yes they yeah, did it was like it was simpsons great intro. yeah um and that was great because they always paid paid attention to the history of yeah. it but it really changed it was it was the first animated show that mm-hmm. was squared directly at adults yep. and it, it paved the way like you said for family guy south park certainly i was just gonna say south, south park, park wouldn't exist without the simpsons uh there's so like was it bob's burger i mean you can any name a of number those. of shows any of those that have come yeah. i agree yeah <laughs> any animated show yeah after uh, 1990 yeah. yeah that's yeah. how big this is any animated yeah. primetime series yeah. that was a bet that to mm-hmm. the simpsons yeah in the last 20 30 years yeah all right we're ready for number one 
my number one favorite TV character of all time is none other than the, the matriarch <laughs> of the Arrested <laughs> Development crew, crew, the one, the only, Lucille Bluth. <laughs> I feel like we should get some cheers. Oh, yes, yes. She, okay, I got to be really honest. When I first watched that show, um, she was not like my favorite. I wasn't really automatically drawn to her. She's definitely one of those characters, though, that as the series went on and I continued, you know, to watch it more and more, I just absolutely fell in love with her. You want to talk about a lady like V. Arthur who can deliver comedy yeah. and do it so sharp and believable and brilliantly without even batting her eye. We're going to talk about Jessica Walter. May she rest yeah. in peace. Yeah. She recently passed. Mm-hmm. I cried. I legitimately cried. And I had a, what I call it, I've made my own um, drink after Lucille. It's basically just a vodka tonic. But I call yeah. it the Lucille Bluth, and I had one in her honor. Because I just think she is such a fun character. And here's the thing I love. Well, I'm going to get into the character in a moment. But this was probably, really, one of the first matriarchs that I've seen mm-hmm. that's been goofy and absurd yeah. and not responsible and not holding the house together and not conforming to any kind of social standard that we might have. I mean, Lucille Bluth is totally on her own element, in her own lane, doing her own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there is, you know, no, I'm coming to mommy for good advice and yeah. let me give you yeah. hugs. She's the, perpet- she perpetuates, you know, the dysfunction in that family. And that's one of the things I love so much about her is it is it gave women the right to like not give a fuck. I don't know. Like it, it was a refreshing to see that, hey, a woman character, namely the mother, can be just as goofy as like a Homer Simpson. Yes. You yes. know, and what you you were gonna say something. Oh, I was gonna say, like uh, we were making the soap arrested development mm-hmm. comparison before. I, I think soap with Catherine Hellman's character, she was very naive and goofy too. Mm-hmm. Uh that's that's great. Those shows have a lot in common. I don't I'm gonna have about to check it. out yeah, so you would you've like talked soap. about it before. Yeah, yeah. it's it's really it, some of it might be dated now because it is the nineteen seventies, sure. but it was really groundbreaking and ahead of its time. Um but Lucille Bluth, you're right, you don't really see Especially female characters being in a as family setting a, show, right? Exactly. Even think about Simpsons. Even think about Family Guy. You know, Lois, Marge. Yeah. They're all the the pe- they're all the serious person, right? They're the keep. They're the one that makes the the crazy dad seem somewhat stable. Mm-hmm. I love how in Arrested Development, everybody's unstable. Yeah. And 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 Lucille Bluth, the matriarch of the family, probably you know in some ways leading the charge on that. You know, you have your Mike or Michael is sort of more the straight man. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's the one trying to hold hold everybody hold together. But I mean, that's the premise of the show. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. The whole intro of the <laughs> show. You need one of them. You, you need know. one of them. But I, I just think Jessica Walter is totally in her element. Brilliant. Everything that Lucille Blue stands for, I support. Yeah. I just love this character. She grew on me so greatly that I honestly feel like if I didn't have a filter, if money was not an object, like if I could just literally live my life and be as open and honest, I would be Lucille Blue. Yeah. Maybe I wouldn't be as much of an alcoholic um, <laughs> as she but, is. Yeah. I think she uses alcohol as a way to cope, frankly, but as well, many alcoholics yeah. do. But that's what makes her fun. It's what gives. It's like coffee to Agent Cooper. You know, alcohol yeah. is to Lucille Bluth, right? Everybody yeah. has their thing that you know that they gravitate towards. But I mean, just the writing is phenomenal. Everybody, compliments of Scott. I'm drinking out of a uh-huh. coffee out of a yes. Lucille Bluth mug that yeah. says, "I don't understand the question, and I won't respond to it." Yeah. My favorite Lucille Bluth, and it's very basic. 
is go see a Star War, which oh, I yeah. think sums <laughs> up the character. She gets some money, go see a Star War. Yeah. Which is just, I mean, that's one of the best written lines in the history. That uh, one, and I love when she's yeah. trying to like have a sweet moment with Michael, and she's like, Michael, I'd love to cry, but... I don't think I can spare the moisture. <laughs> I mean, it's just so well, she brilliant. Says, I love all yeah. my kids equally. Yes. And it's like earlier that day, I don't care for I don't, Joe. She's having a drink. Yeah, she's like, yeah. I don't care for Joe. Oh, yeah, that was first. She goes, Michael, if that's a veiled criticism, I won't hear it and I won't respond to it. <laughs> yeah. And she has like the catchphrases. She has. Kind of, and that's what I was. Like, that is a landmark yeah. of a great character is a catchphrase. Yes. Do. Eat my shorts. Yeah. You know, Agent Cooper, damn fine cup of coffee. I mean, almost all these characters that we love, they have some kind of catchphrase. And that's when you know that's a great character, I feel like. Yes. And Lucille Booth has all of those, you know. I love in the morning when she's like, Michael's like making breakfast. She goes, I'll have a vodka tonic on the rocks. And he goes, Mom, it's breakfast. And she goes, and a piece of toast. (laughs) (laughs) But I just love how like frazzled she always seems. You know, everything's such a, everything is important to Lucille. You know, she cares in in her own way. You know, like, I love that scene when her and Lindsay are at Klumpy's. I mean, that's probably one of the best scenes. (laughs) She's mad because they can't get into the country club. And so (laughs) Ron Howard's like the narrator. He's like, Lucille's blood sugar was at a perilous low. (laughs) So they pulled into the nearest restaurant they could find. And it was called Klumpy's. And it's basically kind of like a Denny's. Like an Applebee's or They walk in and the lady's like, seat yourself. And Lucille looks at Lindsay and she goes, this doesn't bode well. (laughs) My favorite, um, uh, there's a great performance by Jessica Walter that doesn't mention as much anymore. But it's actually in an important kind of a milestone movie. It was Clint Eastwood's directorial debut as a director. He's also the star called Play Misty for Me. Mm. Where he plays a DJ for a jazz radio station who gets stalked. By a woman who's played by Jessica, Jessica. Walter. Oh, I'll have and to check if, that out. If you're a fan of hers, yes. you should really check that movie out because it's a very good movie. It's a great, strong directorial debut for Eastwood, but it's she plays kind of a creepy character. She is kind of like a precursor to Fiddle Attraction and what Glenn Close oh, played. I think I would like that then. Yeah, so I would definitely check that, that out. Uh, yeah, and you know, I just I, I love also too that Lucille Bluth is. If you were to just see her at a restaurant, she's classy, she's elegant, she's put together. She's nothing like what she really is, and I love that juxtaposition of you know the exterior maybe being a little bit different from the interior. I think that's yeah. fun, and um, her her her. her much like B. Arthur, her her, her nonverbal acting is yeah. perfect. Yeah. The looks that she gives, the cues. I mean, I remember the one episode, it's called Public Relations. It's probably one of my favorite ones when they're trying to have a new image. The family's trying to have a new image. And the the PR girl says that people perceive Lucille as being very cold. Yeah. Well, shortly after she makes that comment, they have George Bluth like, like FaceTimed in on like TV and yeah. they're losing the connection and they can't hear him and Lucille just very quietly clicks off the TV and then like takes a sip like very harshly yeah. you know takes a sip of her wine and it's like that's total confirmation that she's yeah. cold and uncaring yeah. you know it's just yeah. just the brilliance of it yeah, but she's a fabulous non-verbal actress and I respect that and I appreciate that and I think that's what makes her this the character of Lucille Bluth so strong and so lasting. Like I said, when I first watched this, she wasn't like my favorite. Right. She grew on me because I was like, this is, she's brilliant. The character is brilliant. I love when there's a a character you're kind of lukewarm to, but you eventually tap into it and it connects with you. I love when Mm -hmm. that happens, you know. Like Lucille Booth is, you know, my alter ego. 
Yeah, some a version of you that you wish you could be, but yes. also glad that you're not. But also <laughs> yeah. glad that I'm not, exactly. Yeah. She's, yeah. Well, my number one is from a show that's probably not that well known. People listening to it, we've, um, but it's it, it became a favorite show of mine. Um, and the character is one of my favorite comedic actors of all time. So it's, uh, so the name of the <laughs> it's I'm so doing, obscure that yes. even Scott so has to, right, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, right now yeah. I'm giving you the, the Lucille eye wink yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's going on here <laughs> so it's uh, Forrest McNeil from Review <gasps> oh. I love Review yeah. so great. Is, that's a great choice this is, oh my uh, goodness played and, by the great Andy Daly yes the, the reason I was looking up is like I had a brain fart. I couldn't remember Forrest. McNeil. I would just yeah. yeah. I couldn't remember McNeil. Like a, yeah, like it's not like a, a, yeah. A, 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 but it's a show that was on Comedy Central for a few years. I think it's still on Netflix or is it Hulu. still in production or is it? No, it's, it's done. It's, it's closed, done. so you can watch it. There's not that many episodes. There were only like six a season, but the the premise of the show is that he would review life. Yeah, He's like a life reviewer. So he would review like every episode. He reviewed three things of life, and he'd actually live it. But they were like divorce. You know, oh, like, yeah. And where the oh, house lit on fire. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that was the person, best. Yeah. Um, that was the funniest. Oh, yeah. And, and the, he couldn't, like, break the little... The, he was, like, walking on his knees, basically, the whole episode. And he accidentally caught... He was trying to boil water, and he caught his kitchen on fire. And he couldn't He couldn't yeah. stand up, because he had to be a little person. So the house went up and... Yeah, and yeah. then he's running down the lawn. Yeah. Yeah. And issues with the, uh, you know, whatever he reviewed before would always come into yes. play. And, the like, cult was a great episode. Yeah. Yeah, he that was a good cult. one. What's it like, the former cult? And, Brilliant. Uh, yeah. The episode will, where he becomes Batman is hysterical, too. Oh, yeah. where he says, I know I understand it when he's yes. getting sued. <laughs> yes. And wasn't like, there one where he, like, like the mask parties or whatever? That one was oh, great. God. What oh, was yeah. that? What Jeez. was that? An orgy or something. Was like, that it? It was like an yeah. eyes wide shut party yes. of some yes. sort. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he, you know, he reviewed getting divorced, and he actually had to get divorced, and he didn't want to. And so that caused a lot of problems with his life. Um, and then there was, like, People love the pancakes, divorce pancakes. I love the pancakes yeah, episode. Yeah, like, what's it like to eat 15 pancakes? He couldn't, but then he, like, he got divorced and life had no meaning, so he was eating the pancakes, you know, at the end. To, to... But uh, it's a brilliant actor. I mean, completely played, you know, yeah. serious by... Uh, kind of like a Leslie and, Nielsen type where exactly, he's very serious, like, but he's... I keep going back to yeah. it. Like, he completely earnest about it. Yeah. Um... And yeah, finds like, himself in the most bizarre situations. Yes, exactly. This, but and he adheres to this premise of the show, um, you know, about reviewing life. He's so like he's committed to pure, it. Yeah. Purity of it. He's not going to cut corners on it or anything. He, he reviews it to the fullest to give you the, you know, <laughs> even if it destroys his life. You what know, was, there was one where he was like in an office setting and he was like ru- ruining the office. Do you remember that one? Something about, I, it's it's been a while since yeah, I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Just mean, the physical comedy in that show is hilarious. Cause yes, it, yeah. Yes, it's it's a, it's a great show. I, I I highly recommend that you check it out. And you know, it's a, it's it's definitely a, a a great show. Very funny. And he was on Andy Daly had a commercial, a car com- commercial, not that long ago. Yeah, yeah it was good to Carmax see him. Yeah, Carmax. Yeah. Yeah, he, you see him around. He's yeah. He's you've probably seen him. if if you've loved. 
sitcoms. He's mm-hmm. probably made an appearance on your favorite sitcom as, as a certain it's like an, yeah. He was on The Office playing the fake Benjamin Franklin, yeah. the, the actor playing Benjamin Franklin, like the role playing. That, yeah, that was that was Andy Daly, and he's hysterical. He's also as a podcaster, yeah. hysterically funny. I think Andy Daly has a specific podcast now where he plays. Was it Milton Wilcox? Is that the name uh, of the Dalton character? Wilcox. Oh, Dalton Wilcox. Oh, my goodness. The, 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 the chips and dips or whatever. Yeah. That's that one. <laughs> well, what was that? Does, yeah. What was that one? The uh, Andy Daly pilot uh, podcast experiment. I don't know what it's called, but definitely check it out. He plays a bunch of different yeah. characters that yeah. have these pilots. Yeah. And one of them is uh, Chips. And, you, you know, and all his characters are saying that they're outwardly seem like very charismatic, you know, very like, oh, but they're all like have these deep seated like dark aspects to them. They're undercurrents to each yeah. one. Yeah. Um, Dalton Wilcox is like a Western poet, so he's a cowboy poet yeah. that writes about killing vampires, and he believes it's based on real life. But what mm. actually evolved from it is he became. They they started doing through that character. Uh, an episode by episode take on Bonanza called yeah. Bananas oh for Bonanza, gosh, which is Bonanza. one of the funniest uh, podcasts I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of Review too. I think it's yeah. overlooked, like you said. It's more of an obscurity for most people. Well, it's, not even look, people. it's not even yeah. known. It's no. like, yeah, it's 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 not even like oh, I'm overlooking this. Like people just don't know. It. And there's only about right. two seasons. It didn't last two terribly or three or long. Four seasons, yeah. and they're they're only like six episodes, mm-hmm. so it's not long to get through. If you could binge it, you probably binge it in a day. Easy. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Well, my number one is from Poss, another contender from my favorite sitcom of all time. It's it's one of the great ensembles on TV, similar to WKRP. They debuted the same season. And one of my all-time favorite actors portrayed this character. I, I, I cannot tell you how much I love this character. I think he's just consistently one of the funniest in TV history. And that would be Reverend Jim Ignatowski from Taxi. Played by the great Christopher that's, Lloyd. That's Matt's favorite character. Oh, I asked Matt him has when fine we were, taste. Yeah, yes, he yeah. does, doesn't he? Yeah. When we were talking about it this morning, and I said, I know that's going to be in Sean's top five. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He is. Uh, I wish I owned a T-shirt. Christopher Lloyd. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Reverend Jim slays me every time he opens his mouth. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is amazing in pretty He's much so everything good. I see him in. I agree. This character, what I, what I can say about Christopher Lloyd is he has even though he plays kind of really eccentric characters, they're all eccentric in different ways. Like Reverend Jim is like a drug induced, you know, like brain fried. But wasn't he like, yeah, wasn't he like brilliant at one point in time? And he was, he used to be like a conservative Yale student that was going to be a lawyer, but then he got introduced to drugs by his girlfriend and he took a different route. It's funny because didn't the Simpsons did something similar with, uh, with Barney. Barney, yeah, Barney was uh, was Homer's friend at the bar, and he's just like a drunk. But he, they showed an episode where he was like brilliant, but then he drank a beer and he just instantly turned into Barney. Yeah, isn't that kind of like Quagmire and Family Guy? Yeah, I think Basically. he had an interesting like a, he was yeah. real smart and then it, it, it's went a trope down. That yeah, was started by yeah, by yeah, Reverend Jim. Uh-huh. Yeah, Reverend Jim is amazing. Um, probably the best gateway into Reverend Jim is is a lot of people consider it one of the greatest episodes of a sitcom is when he becomes a full-time employee of the garage uh it's called reverend Jim, a space odyssey and the classic bit that everybody references is what does a yellow light mean and this is you're referring to taxi taxi people, the tv, yeah, show, the TV taxi, show taxi yeah for people who don't know um and on this episode he's being hired by the garage and um he has to take a driving test before he gets his license to drive a cabbie and he and he start the whole epi- the whole 
test is hilarious, but the infamous moment that most people remember is when Reverend Jim starts trying to cheat on the exam. He goes, what does a yellow light mean? And then Bobby Wheeler, one of the other cabbies, goes, slow down. He goes, okay, what <laughs> does a yellow light mean? Slow down! All right, what? I mean, it just goes on and on yeah. and on. And, and, and people get cited as one of the great comedy bits of all time. But there's so many, ep- yeah. that episode is loaded with great Reverend Jim moments. It's almost like a who's on first kind of. Yes, yeah. it's kind of that bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the, they're asking him about your men, like mental illness. Was it like drug drug issues or mental illness? Like that's a tough choice. You know, like that's, that's how he like I feel that. like it might have been The Simpsons. Somebody, I, I feel like it was an animated series, and they were asking like about what band was playing, and they were talking about the band. Yeah, and they're like the band, and they're like, I'm asking what band? Yeah, was the band. What's the name of the band? The band? It is. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you go back and forth. Yeah. There's a lot of shared DNA between The Simpsons and Taxi because yeah. uh, James L. Brooks, he also produced the Mary Tyler Moore Show. We go on to produce Taxi and The Simpsons. And The Simpsons is a spinoff of the Tracy Ullman Show, mm-hmm. which he also produced. So. When people say that, that, I'm sure there's a lot of shared DNA between the yeah. two shows. That's probably yeah. why I love, they're probably two of my favorite shows of all time. I obviously am tied into that humor. But, uh, I mean, most people nowadays probably know Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future as Doc Brown. And he is absolutely brilliant in that role. And it's a different eccentric than Jim. Because mm-hmm. uh, Doc is very hyper and regimented almost. You and know? even though Doc is scatterbrained, though, he still is kind of in control of his life. Right. You know? Um, yeah. But he does have range in that area. Yeah. Like, but he's hysterically funny. Yeah. He's a wonderful actor. Yes. Mm-hmm. He recently was in uh, the new Bob Odenkirk action movie, Nobody. He plays Bob Odenkirk's father. It's the first time I've seen Christopher Lloyd in anything in ages. I was just going to say, I didn't know he was in that. His, he's older. He's in his 80s now. And his voice is kind of shot. But man, in terms of physicality, he is on par in this movie. <laughs> I highly recommend people check it out if they haven't seen Chris you know, Lloyd. A lot and the lately. thing, too, like I, when I was a little girl, I think outside of Back to the Future, one of the first things I really saw Chris Lloyd in was Clue, which I love that movie. He played uh, Professor Plum. Yes. And, you know, the thing I love so much about him is he's so relatable. You know, he's, he's funny, he's quirky, he's offbeat. But he, you feel like you could know somebody like him. He's mm-hmm. not like overly good looking or or so dumb that you get annoyed by him. You know, like right. there's just a likability, an instant likability to him. And everything I've ever seen him in, I can truly say he's th- there was another great movie that he was in in the 90s. It's kind of a kid movie called Camp Nowhere. Yeah. And he was great in that, too. Like, I just love. Yeah, I just love him as an actor. He's the kind of guy that. I don't know. Every party plays, you feel like that's him. Would you categorize guys Christopher Lloyd as a star or a character actor? It's hard I'd for me. I'd say to character s- actor. Yeah, he's definitely a character actor yeah. that became a star. Yeah, yeah. so good because he's, so yeah. he's so good. Yeah, because he's so good. Yeah, I think he would be because there's there's no one that Christopher Lloyd, especially. I think in the eighties, he was definitely a star. I mean, Back to the yeah. Future was so big. Anybody yeah. in that movie was elevated to a star. Yeah, it didn't matter if you had a bit part or you're a character actor. Are you a Christopher McLovin? Christopher McLovin. Uh, had, uh, McLovin? Christopher Glo- That's Glover. it. Glover. Yeah. No, no. Chris McLovin, the guy who played Marty's dad. That's Christopher, Crispin Glover. Yeah, that's it. Crispin Glover. I thought you were mentioning me- 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 McLovin no, from Superbad. No, no, no. Superbad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> 
Yeah, yeah they're mean, similar. Superman yeah. and uh, yeah. Superboy. I mean, you kind of you didn't go in the second one, but definitely yeah. the two. I mean, Michael J. Fox was. Oh yeah. Was, was well, a, he was already a household he name. He was a household but... name, and he became a huge star. Yeah. And then Christopher Lloyd, who was known from Taxi, became and Clue. Star. Clue had already come out at that point. Clue came out, yeah. And um, that was a great. I mean, you talk about the cast of Clue. Yeah. Everybody in there is phenomenal. Oh, that's Tim it's, Curry. It's, I mean, it's an all-star who, cast who's of who, character actors. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it absolutely great. is. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Reverend Jim, especially like like he like I feel like characters like Kramer from Seinfeld. There's some DNA from Reverend Jim. Any quirky yeah. character, I would say, I would argue, any quirky character that sort of offbeat but somehow incorporates himself into the main cast, even Steve Urkel, in a sense, yeah. was probably modeled after a Reverend Jim. Yeah, and he's he is outstandingly funny on that show. I mean, everybody on that show was great. Danny DeVito, of course, as Louis. John Travolta. Yeah, uh, oh, Travolta was on Welcome Back, Hotter. Oh, whoops, I'm getting mixed up. Although I would love Andy to see Kaufman was in Taxi. That yes, Andy Kaufman, Judd Hirsch, who was terrific. Tony Danza, you know. Actually, I'm thinking. That's Tony exactly, Danza. I, I know. That's yeah, that's, yeah. that's exactly that, right? You know, um, it spawned a lot of uh, talent, and I and I and I love the show. But Reverend Jim was special to me. Like I've always loved that character. I think he's yeah. one of the, probably for me the funniest character for me in TV history. Like consistently yeah. makes me laugh. So, mm-hmm. so that would be our lists yes. for our top five favorite sitcom characters. I think we have a wide range between us of different Definitely. eras and different styles of comedy. Mm-hmm. So that's that's great that we all we could cover a whole history of sitcoms mm-hmm. in one setting for that. Well, and there's so much more to be said. I mean, oh, yeah. ten was hard. This was very hard to, to nail down to ten, but I kind of overall happy with the list I came up with for my taste. Like, yeah. I feel like I kind of nailed at least a cross section of what I like. In yeah, we talked about you know we could jump off. I think we talked about a lot of other characters that we liked because they were mm-hmm. in in the shows as well. So. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us once yeah. again. We're yeah, back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, yeah, it's great to be back and up and running. Uh, please continue to follow us on social media like Facebook and Podbean, where you can find most of our, mm-hmm. our episodes, as well as uh, Apple, Apple iTunes. Yeah. Uh, I think it's still iTunes. I'm a little dated Apple on that. Apple Music or Apple Podcast. A- Apple, Apple Podcast. Podcast. And yes. I think we still have a Twitter Possibly. Yes, we do. We, we do, do still have Twitter. Okay. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been yeah. more active recently in the last yeah. month than normal. <laughs> yeah. uh, and continue to interact with us and listen to us. And thank you all for joining us as we kind of reconvene on yeah. the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we promise you more to come as well. Yes. So. All right. So all right, to all everyone. our listeners and everybody, uh, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. See you Bye. next time. Excuse me. This shopping cart does not belong to you. Bring it back to the food saver. I'm Batman. It was clear to me that the idea of a private citizen fighting crime is of no value whatsoever. That should be left to police officers with the proper training, equipment, and accountability to society. How this never occurred to Batman is beyond me. Here, here, let let me help you out, okay? Um, Have you ever experienced loss of consciousness, hallucinations, dizzy spells, convulsive disorders, fainting, or periods of loss of memory? Yes, and everyone? (laughs) No. Um, Mental illness or narcotic addiction? That's a tough choice. (laughs) 
like. This does not bode well. I'll have the Ike and Tina tuna. Plater platter? I don't understand the question, and I won't respond to it.